Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! In each episode we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Riggles clear, might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great backlash! Our special guest this week is Mikey Mokkevich. Now, Mikey is a former general manager of Dunfermline Football Club and is also a graphic artist and digital comms guru. Now, I put the guru bit in myself, is that okay? Uh, I'm happy with that. Is yeah. that something up? Thank you and well, welcome welcome to the podcast, Mikey. Cheers, guys. It's a pleasure. It's uh, been in, in the plans for a while, so it's good to, to finally chat to you guys. Mm-hmm. So... For yourself this week, we've, we've picked out a shoot magazine from the 14th of December, 1991 it is. So with it being December, I'm sure there'll be a few things in here, which is, you know, Christmas related. So as we do, we'll, we'll have a wee look at the front cover. And it has a photo of Gary Speed of Leeds United going up for a header with Kerry Dixon in the background for Chelsea. There's concentration and determination on Speed's face as he rises with gritted teeth. And he's wearing an all-white umbro kit for Leeds with the Yorkshire Evening Post as the sponsors in blue. The shirt is plain white, although there may be a two-tone effect going on, I think, possibly. And there's a small Football League logo on the arm, but it also has blue cuffs and collars. And the collars with those snap buttons as well, which were quite common in, in, in that sort of era. The shorts have a bit more going on. They're white shorts with blue and yellow stripes down the side and a blue horizontal band near the bottom of the shorts as well. They're wearing plain socks with white and blue rings around the top. It's, it's a cracking kit. Got Kerry Dixon in the background, as I say, he's looking on and he's wearing the Umbro Chelsea kit with the Commodore sponsor logo on there as well. And it's quite, it's quite a small badge that they've got going on as well. So the headline reads, Just Champion, a lead's good enough. The, the kit there is an absolute belter, isn't it? I think it's... You know, it's up there amongst Leeds classic kits with the Yorkshire Evening Post sponsor on there. All the kits in the early nineties are absolute top drawer. Like all the Umbro stuff, like both even Chelsea one there's an absolute classic. Yeah, um, uh, you can't you can't beat them. Mm-hmm. So other things on the front page. It's fifty five pence for this magazine, and it says soccer's brightest read. Other headlines on it: Sinton secret. So there's a two page spread on QPR's Andy Sinton. And his decision to remain at the club. Oh, can't wait for that. Hoddle hits out. So Glenn Hoddle makes a plea to kick out the boot boys from the game. And there's you can win a trip, a soccer trip to the USA. There's also a headline, Blunder Boys. And this is top bosses reveal their transfer cock-ups. That'll be interesting to look at. Celtic's great white hope. It's obviously that's a, ho- a look at Derek White. There's also the Pro Set Extra Time Results Service. And a Saints and Dunfermline team poster. So this is a double-page centre spread of Southampton 
and a single page Dunfermline team group, which we'll be certainly looking at in some detail when we go inside. What I love about that cover straight away, can you imagine nowadays a football magazine having a coverage of Scottish football that's not Rangers or Celtic? Mm-hmm. Having Dunfermline and I'm guessing St Johnson or St Mirren on the, co- on the cover. Yeah. No, the Saints is Southampton, I think this one is. So, is Southampton? Yeah. So, right. so, but, but you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, normally, you would think that there would have to be a reason for for mm. them featuring a Scottish team. You know, if as you say, if it happened nowadays, it would have to be them family were in Europe or something like that before they would get featured. Definitely. So, yeah, the, the, yeah, just another thing. So on the, you, I don't know if you can quite see it. You'll be able to see it from your copy, but on the second O of the shoot at the top is written what looks like Gillen in Biro. So this is an indication of who the magazine would have been set aside for by the local news agent. So we, we get to see who actually owned these magazines before I got a hold of them. Anybody want to pick out anything else from the the front page there? Just the, the price, again, 55p. Just simpler times. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, I, to be fair, this is kind of before my shooting of a, dare say, match magazine times. Yeah. <laughs> I started collecting them probably about ninety four, right. but um, I'll get into that further on. I was I was I was going to I was going to ask you about that in terms of what were your collectibles? What did you collect as a, a youngster? What sort of things were were on on the market at the time? You know, was it the it would have been before I suppose the match attack and things like that. So you may have still been collecting mm-hmm. panini stickers. Yeah, probably around about about ninety four. I, I kind of really got into football and. Uh, being obviously a Dunfermline supporter, it, it, it didn't matter, to be honest. You were happy to have a poster of a Millwall player on your bedroom wall or not a forest. Yeah. Um, so it kind of got started, the Panini stickers. You knew you knew every player from every team in Scotland and England, um, just obsessed about football. And then it led into the shoot in Match magazines every week. Um, yeah. See, I'm, I'm wondering, because I'm we talk about this, how you that's how you used to things like the panini stickers and the cards and things like that and even the magazines where were how you used to learn about players and, and know things about them yeah because I'm, I'm just wondering there because quite often I'll, I'll post a team photo of some some team from the 80s and somebody will, will reply and say i could name every single one of those i couldn't name yeah. the entire team in the last 10 years or something and i wonder it's because of yeah. things like this without a doubt without a doubt you know, I think I think you've seen the photo on my Twitter before when I was a uh, about nine, ten years old, and my bedroom wall was just covered in shoot posters, yeah, yeah, and posters, and it didn't matter who the team was. You know, I I can still visualise every single poster, every player, um, every kit. Uh, I don't think kids could probably do that now. They're all interested in Messi's, Ronaldo's, um, who plays for Chelsea, who plays for Man City. You know, it's. Yeah, it's a totally different time now. Yeah, and we spoke about the 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 league ladders before as well, and how I mean, I even remember yeah. at the time my patience wasn't there for more than three four weeks, but nowadays, yeah, kids wouldn't do that. It's it's, nah. it's just their attention span just would go. The league ladders, the the little cardboard shirt yeah. cutouts yeah. for each team. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to do all that as well. As I say, they, they used to get hoovered up by by my mum and things like that after <laughs> the first couple of days. So it was like, there was no point. There was no point. So let, let's move into the magazine. So we're going to go into pages two and three. And great, great title. What a waste of money. So she- Sheffield United boss Dave Bassett has told Shoot that all bosses in the game have had a few cock-ups when it comes to the transfer market. So Shoot decide to ask a few managers their thoughts. 
First one up is Brian Clough of Nottingham Forest. This will be fun. So Brian Brian says, ask me who's the best signing I've ever made and I'll tell you Roy McFarland by a short head. Ask me who my worst signing was and I'll tell you Justin Fashionu by a mile. Now, Cloughy doesn't blame Fashionu but rather blames himself, saying, it wasn't my good friend Justin's fault either. It was all down to me. Yes, Big Head dropped the biggest clanger of all. I could fill a million issues of shoot with the reasons why Justin's £1 million transfer from Norwich to Forest went wrong, but the fact of the matter is, he should never have come in the first place. He goes on to say, My record on buying players is littered with failures. Remember John Sheridan? He hardly kicked a ball in our first team. Gary Megson? He didn't even manage that. So Cluffy then goes on to talk about his best signing. And he says, I went to see Roy in a match for Tranmere against Hartlepool. I agreed a £22,000 fee with them that night and we were on our way back to the Midlands, very happy with the whole affair. We were going through the Mersey Tunnel when I said to Peter, I'm turning around and going back to McFarlane's house. Now, not for the first time Peter thought I was going mad. After all, McFarlane was due in Derby the following day to sign. Cluffy says, I didn't want to wait and by the time we arrived at his home, Roy was in his prison pyjamas, you know, the stripy ones, and he didn't bargain on his stopping him going to bed. But we sat down and talked, and Roy's dad said to him, I would sign for Brian if I were you. He did, and Roy went on to be an outstanding player for Derby and for England. It's a great wee story, that, isn't it? It's just, it's typical of the things you hear about Brian Cloughy's, you know, just decides to turn round and go back to the house and make sure he signs then and there. Absolutely brilliant. That's, that's, that's the other thing nowadays. You, you hear all the stories about Jock Steen's Brian Cloughs, you know, going to the parents' doors and <laughs> sitting, having a cup of tea with the mums and dads trying to sign these players. Yeah. You just couldn't imagine that nowadays. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. It happen. You can just imagine the, the, a young player being upstairs and it comes downstairs and it's like Brian Clough in there having tea with his <laughs> mum and dad and it's like well we've decided that you're you're going to sign for Brian Clough. Like, okay, aye, fair enough, no problem. <laughs> I think uh, Bill Shankly was in that that boat as well, wasn't he? He was one that would travel up to Scotland and come and meet the mums and dads and Yeah. It's 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 a, I mean it's a, it's great stories you hear about that and you really don't hear about that these days. You know, it's all about sending YouTube videos out to, to people. Oh, I'm sure yeah. you're you're well aware. These sort of things yeah. that, that go on. No agents involved back then. Simple. So, so the next person they ask is, um, so this it's got a title of Daily Fail. So Shrewsbury boss John Bond managed Man City and Norwich City in the early to mid eighties. When asked if there were any clangers in his transfer history, he said, "I did let Lee Dixon go on a free transfer to Burnley, and Dean Saunders went on a free transfer to Swansea. It taught me a lesson that when you have players of ability, all they might need is time." Yeah, I'd say that was a couple of mistakes there. Now, we go into a wee section that says, what the Scots say. So this is Alex Smith of Aberdeen and David Tay St Mirren, their thoughts. So Alex Smith says, my best signing, pound for pound, was Theo Snelders for £290,000 from Groningen. He is now the best keeper in the Premier Division. My most disappointing, disappointing rather than worst, was Mark McWalter, a signing from St Mirren for £40,000. He had great potential, but unfortunately was struck down by injury very early on and never really played for me. Now, David Hay says, Mo Johnson ranks as my best ever signing from Watford to Celtic for £440,000. The capture of Roy Aitken for £125,000 this season ranks as a great success. My biggest disappointment was not being able to sign either Steve Clark or Joe McLaughlin to Celtic in 1985. 
bolstering the defence could have been the difference between us winning and losing the league title that year. Now that that reminds me, Tom. I think Jim Buck, when we had him on, mentioned Joe McLaughlin as a potential that if they'd signed them, they could have actually won the league that season. Is that? Yeah. It's interesting that the two Scots managers uh, choose not to slag any players off. Yeah. And, and and just talk about good players he missed out in signing mm. rather than taking the opportunity to have a go at somebody that didn't score goals. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you're, you're spot on there, Tom. Um, it was something I'd, I'd noticed as well was the other two managers were just like, here it is, what's and all. This is, these are my failures, these are my successes. And the other ones are just being a bit sort of protective for the players and not wanting to to annoy anybody. Well, I thought that just uh, just before we go off it, I yeah. thought that was that was interesting. And the wee bit that says um, then there's Big Ron who had a who had a big turnover over at Villa selling Platy and bringing players in. People look upon his decision to buy Paul Mortimer and then sell him shortly after as something strange. So I had a wee look there. So Paul Mortimer got brought in the summer and got sold in October playing like 14 games. But I thought that's the kind of thing that Disney happen quite as much these days as players only having a couple of months at a club. Happens a lot. Round about the end of 80s and 90s kind of thing, mm-hmm. guys getting punted. But I guess it's the transfer window mm-hmm. and like fees these these days kind of make that more or less a thing of, a, a thing, a thing of the past. Yeah. Pages four and five, just move on to that. And this is just champion. This is Leeds get the title nod. So it starts off, it says, it's 17 years since Leeds United last led the Football League, but now under the forceful management of Howard Wilkinson, they're back at the top. Only one defeat in the last 18 games and more goals than any other First Division team. But can the men from Ellen Road keep it up and resist the pressure of life at the top? That's the question we put to six First Division opponents. So the opponents that they put this question to is Nigel Worthington of Sheffield Wednesday. Ian Crook of Norwich City, Cyril Regis of Aston Villa, Terry Gibson of Wimbledon, Alan Smith of Arsenal and Glenn Cockerell of Southampton. So we'll look at them one by one. First one, Nigel Worthington, he says yes. And he says, John Lukic is an excellent keeper. Lee Chapman is always worth 20 goals a season. And there's the little man in midfield, Gordon Stratton, who seems to be playing as well as ever. Ian Crook, he says yes as well. Says that Strachan, David Batty, and Gary McAllister midfield is as good as any in the division. Cyril Regis, however, says no. He says they have a big squad, but I don't think their reserves are as strong as those at Arsenal and Man United. Terry Gibson is another yes. He says they have a big enough squad, but it wouldn't be as effective if they lost Lee Chapman and Gordon Strachan. The atmosphere at Ellen Road is fantastic. I've never known a crowd get behind their team as much. Alan Smith says no. He says they probably have the best midfield in the country, but they will need a lot of luck with injuries. I think Arsenal will win the league. Glenn Cockrell, he says yes. He says they are strong in depth, fresh and more enthusiastic than any of the challengers. Leeds are the best side at the moment and will be at the best at the end of the season as well. So, there's a bit of a spoiler on that. Leeds did finish top of the league on 82 points. And they were four points ahead of Manchester United in second place. And third place was Sheffield Wednesday on 75. So, well done all the ones who said yes. So, just looking at the, the photo on the page, it's uh, Lee Chapman attempting, I'm going to say attempting an overhead kick here. He does look a bit concerned. And I don't know if it's about his effort or the fact that he's about to hit the, hit the ground with quite a thump by the looks of it. And in the background, Carlton Palmer is looking... I just caught the game, the Sheffield Wednesday kit. It's another Umbro. Mm. Ah, cracker. So, no sponsor, interestingly yeah. enough. Yeah, 
just got a wee snippet there of the last time Leeds had won the league championship. And there's a wee picture there of Billy Bremner on Gordon mm. McQueen's shoulders with Joe Jordan in the background. Uh, and again, a cracking tracksuit with a big uh, admiral written, written across it. Yes, I, uh, Lee Chapman. Nah, he was he was a, he was a good striker wherever he, wherever he went. So it was a guy who was there thereabouts getting getting the goals. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, so we'll move on to page five, six. It is. So this is the great white hope. So this is about Derek White, and it says Derek's facing his biggest test. So Derek White was hailed as one of the most exciting defenders in Scotland when he first stepped into the Celtic team as a teenager. But now, at 23, White faces the biggest challenge of his career to recapture that early glitter. The signings of Gary Gillespie and Tony Mowbray has restricted his opportunities in the side. He's also had to play alongside a lot of defensive partners. Celtic coach Tommy Craig says, The experience has hindered Derek in some ways because his partners have been different types of players. Aitken, for example, was very much an attacking player. McCarthy was an out-and-out defender. Elliot was a bit of both. One of the great things about him is that he's exceptionally self-critical. If you want to make a point to him after a match, chances are that he'll be the one to bring it up. Now White says, I'm never happy with my game. Hardly a day goes by without me feeling as if I have something new to work on. He feels as though he's learned a lot from the players he's worked alongside, especially Roy Aitken and Paul Elliott. Tommy Craig goes on and says that the only criticism that can now be levelled against White concerns his ability on the ball. He says he makes good angles to receive a pass, but his distribution is not as good as it should be. Looking overall at what Derek has to offer, his future looks very exciting indeed. Oh, I remember uh, Derek White's time at Aberdeen in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I think he was in around the, was he not in around the France 98 Scotland squad as well? Yep, he was, yep, right. So uh, Derek White, born in Glasgow in 1968, uh, the last day of August 1981, he joined Celtic Boys Club and then signed an S form with Celtic and he plays for Scotland at under 15 and under 18 level. Uh, he gets a professional contract at Parkhead in 1985, makes his first team debut against Harps uh, in 1986, age 17 and a 1-0 draw when it looked like Hearts were going to pip Celtic to the title. Uh, Davy Hay was the manager that gave him his debut. 1987 makes his Scotland debut as a 19-year-old, a 2-0 win over Belgium at Hamden. 1988, he's part of the Celtic squad that won the League Cup double in their centenary season. 1992, he's off to Middlesbrough for £900,000. 97, he joins Alex Miller at Aberdeen and becomes the team captain. Uh, in 1998, yep, as you said, Mikey, he's in the, the Scotland squad for the World Cup in France. 2002, uh, he signs for Patrick Thistle on a free and a year later appointed joint player manager along with Jerry Britton. And 2004, yeah. he retires from playing to concentrate on management and soccer punditry. And in 2005, he is bagged by Patrick Thistle. I, I remember his time at Partick as well. It seemed to go pretty sour fairly quickly as co-manager. I don't know. I don't know what the issues were there, but it was a good player. I don't really remember him doing punditry. What sort of stations or what was he on? I remember he was on sports team quite a bit. Yeah, I remember him. I remember him as a punditry. Yeah. Back in the day when you used to get your Saturday lunchtime sports team. Right. Yeah, he used to be on that quite a bit. Again, again back to the better times, you had Scott sport coverage, you had sports team coverage on a Saturday night, Saturday lunchtime. Jock Brown, Archie McPherson, just... 
Yeah. So on to just across the page we have an advert. So this is the first advert for Christmas time and it's an advert for Commodore. It's Amiga format magazine it's called. Now basically it's not a magazine I remember at all. I don't what about yourself, Mikey? Would you have had a, an ST or a, an Amiga, or would your first computer have been a PC or something like that? No, my my first computer was a Syncor Spectrum. All right, that's good, good. Uh, that we got second hand, probably round about this time, early nineties. Yeah. Uh, so I had loads of boxes full of cassettes and the old dial-up sounds to to load a game. Yeah. Um, but the first computer I probably had was a Sega Mega Drive. Right. Uh, that I got for Christmas about 94, 95 as well. Um, I just played that constant. Yeah, I was obsessed with it. Yeah, which I think we'll see later in the magazine, possibly. Yeah, the, the, this, I, I think so many people have met. If, if you didn't have a ZX Spectrum in your childhood, you've missed out on so much, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You've just missed out about the whole experience. The whole experience of loading the game from a tape and the noise and and how it resets and you, it, it doesn't load yeah. in properly and so you have to get a little <laughs> screwdriver and fiddle about with the tape heads on the tape player and fiddle about with the volume, try and get the right volume. That's all the sort of stuff that, that makes a childhood for me and people just yeah. don't get it. They just, boom, turn something on and within three seconds their game's loaded and available and they're online. Tom, do you do you have any recollection of this magazine at all? The Amiga format? No, I don't. No, I don't at all. Mm. I mean, I mean, I had I had the likes of Sinclair user. So talk, talking about the Spectrum, Sinclair using your Sinclair, I think, were the two main Spectrum ones. I don't know if I've ever told you the story of Asterix the Goal that I won in one of the magazines. So there was a, there was a hundred winners, and I, I can't remember what the competition was, but it was to win the new game Asterisk and I, I still remember sitting in the house Saturday looking through the winners and I, you know I'm like yeah I was the very last winner the hundredth winner and it was just like this is absolutely amazing so but it took it took about a, maybe two years for me to get my game because it was it was just going through development so much so that I wrote away to them and complained say I've not had my game yet and they sent me uh, I can't remember the name of the the, the other Turner Nog or something like that. They, they sent me another game, which was actually better because when I got the Asterix game, it, it was just so buggy that you couldn't get past about five minutes of the, of the game. So so there we go. That's my wee Sinclair story. Any 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 use one any games in any computer magazines? Nope. Don't think so. Don't think. In fact, <laughs> I won I won a copy of Football Manager about three years ago that I never even opened. Um, it coincided with having children, so <laughs> getting getting hours to play Football Manager is a uh, was long gone. Yeah. What what was how how did you win that? What did you have to do? I think it was a one of these ones on Twitter. I think it was just a retweet this or like this to 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 win, and I won it. But well, that's the thing with online competitions. You just get people coming in who have got nothing. To, you get people who basically troll yeah. the internet for competitions. Yeah. And I've I've run a couple on my Twitter feed over the years, and I hate it when somebody who's not interested in the stuff win it. It's just winning competitions and getting it, and it'll probably yeah, sit in a wee room that. somewhere. So I'm not happy about that. At least in these days, you had to you had to buy a magazine to enter oh, it. So yeah. yeah, it was worth it. You'd be pleased to know, Andy, that there is a, a Sinclair Spectrum podcast where the, where the guys look at a, a game from the Sinclair Spectrum. You're right. I'm pleased to know that. You need to you need to let me know. How much how much uh, do you think they're worth in value now if you still had your original 
all the cassettes and you, you can you can you can you can you can buy them on um you can buy them on eBay. The the problem being the, the main problem being that the the RF output or whatever it is for the TV would fit into the aerial, and most TVs don't have that now. So you need to get it modded in order f- for it to be a USB or any yeah, other yeah. connection. So there's that, but I think maybe between fifty quid and a hundred quid. Which you probably you look at your face here, you're probably a wee bit disappointed yeah, with that. More, more than that, <laughs> yeah. but I've I've got a it's 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 a Spectrum keyboard. In fact, let me go and get this for a wee second. Going retro again. Yeah, absolutely. I've just noticed on the photo. I take it as the number eight, Ian Ferguson there for Rangers. Uh, I thought it might have been Gary Stevens actually. But let's mm. Can I see? And Stevie Fulton behind him. Yeah. Looks right. Uh, maybe in Ferguson now. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking he wore number eight when he was at Rangers for, for a while. So. Okay, so there we go. ZX wow. Spectrum. Was this the one you would have had or would you had the, the plus? I, I think I had a plus one. I think it was grey as well. Rubber key. Yeah. So this, this thing here is actually just a Bluetooth keyboard. So you can actually use it as a keyboard. It connects to an iPad or a, an iPhone, which runs the software. So essentially, you control the game by using this. So actually, I've, and is it the rubber keys? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the feel is all the same and everything like that. It's it's absolutely brilliant. It's just a shame that I no longer have an iPhone and an iPad, but I'll keep that anyway. Maybe put it in the wall. Okay, right, back to the magazine. So this is Keir Radnage Goes Worldwide. And I'm just going to look at a couple of things here. So this this page is looking at little news stories throughout, throughout the world. So it's Austria, Italy, Greece, Argentina, the United States. So I'm going to pick out a couple. The first one is in Italy. And it's Marco Van Basten won a late reprieve when the Federation decided he'd been sent off by mistake in AC Milan's win over Roma. The, the next one is from the United States. And it says, World Cup organisers may have to pay US TV networks to screen the 1994 finals. Federation President Alan Rothenberg says, We always knew no one would overwhelm us with an enormous TV offer. We're saying to TV networks, tell us what you're willing to pay us, or tell us what you would charge to buy screen time. Last year, NBC sold screen time at between £120,000 and £200,000 an hour. For the entire World Cup finals, that could add to more than twenty million. There's a couple of things to pick out here, isn't there? So, firstly, the the early thing about Van Basten having his red card rescinded now, that that that's not something you really heard about, is it? Most days, yeah. I don't think. I thought was that as nowadays the rules are: if it's a straight red, it can't be rescinded, or if it's two yellows, it can be. Or that changes so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 honestly, I don't know. The second one here about the United States, it's not a great sales pitch, is it? They're saying, right, how 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 much how much for the for this or how much shall we give you in order to 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 screen this? It's absolutely incredible that that's what they're saying. I mean, because if if you're the networks and you as soon as you hear that, you're going to think, right, okay, let's take the money. Yeah, very surprising. What, what what I loved about it again, going back to like the shoot magazine. This apart from the Channel Four program in Italian football, this is the only way you would find out about foreign football because yeah. there was just no coverage whatsoever, especially if you didn't have Sky. Which I didn't. Did anybody? No. Nah, well, not until the mid nineties, anyway. Yeah. Certainly not in the early nineties. Yeah. One thing notable on this page, obviously, is the European Cup. So th- this is a European Cup in the first season that there was groups. 
it's the quarter-final groups. So yeah. it was groups, but this was it was still the European Cup. It was the following season before it was rebranded as the Champions League. So there there's two quarter-final groups, Sampdoria and elect Panathinaikos and Red Star in one, Barcelona, Dynamo, Kiev, Benfica and Sparta Prague in the other. That's, inter- that's interesting because I, I, that's something I don't remember. I just think I probably assumed that the groups came from the Champions League. Yeah, this yeah. Was, uh, it was before it was rebranded, yeah, but this mm. was the first season they'd done groups. And obviously like that, they'd done groups at the quarter-final stage. And then obviously that time Rangers almost made the final, the, the groups were like, equivalent to the semi-final, yeah. the group winners, and then they changed it again and then, so it's changed it over the years, but it's obviously now it starts with groups. But it used to be when it began, groups was the thing that you wanted to get into because the groups were at a later stage. Mm. Was it 92, 93 Rangers just about made yeah. it to the final? Yeah, yeah. And it was Mar- Marseille as well? Yeah. Marseille, yeah. Marseille that, that, that just picked them. Yeah, that, that, that was back when it was still... I mean, we, we, we spoke about this with Graham Lambert, didn't we, about how... The, the European competition just doesn't for us anyway I don't know about you Mikey but it doesn't hold the same draw it doesn't hold the same excitement the same entertainment it does occasionally you know it, mm-hmm. it'd be completely wrong of us to say nah we're just not interested at all but generally there's just so much sameness about it there's so much yeah it's, agreed yeah. I, I couldn't even tell you the last Champions League game or UEFA Cup or Europa League or whatever it's called now that I watched yeah. just not interested whatsoever it's too commercialised now for me, as a traditionalist, if you win your league in your country, you should be in the Champions League. You shouldn't be allowed to finish fourth in a league and qualify for a Champions League. It's just, it's yeah, no, it's, actually, one, it's not for me. It's one step away from that sort of invitational tournament. It's like these pre-season mm-hmm. tournaments you see with like Arsenal and Melbourne Knights and Paris Saint-Germain and stuff like that. You know, it's, all, it's yeah, almost yeah. like that. But, um, yeah, but I mean, you, you can see why it's happened just for the just for the for the money. Just yeah. so your big teams, um, your big teams. But it's devalued. It's devalued the other competition so much. Obviously, they've been the Cup Winners' Cup yeah, for it. But, what, but yeah, what, year did they, what year did the Cup Winners' Cup disappear? In '99. Right. See, I, I think I think I wouldn't be so annoyed by it all if they just renamed it. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I think just still calling it the Champions League. Yeah, well, well probably. I, I think yeah. when Saturday comes, named it the Champions and our Rich Mates League. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, if, see, if you look back to the, the years gone by, the UEFA Cup, sometimes the UEFA Cup would have in it, you know, like Barcelona... Juventus, Inter Milan, you know, Bayern Munich kind of thing. Because yeah. it would be teams that finish second, third in, in their leagues. Whereas, you know, whatever it might be, AC Milan won the, you know, won, won the league and Sampdoria won the cup for talking sake. So you've got Juventus and Inter Milan and the UEFA Cup, you know. So sometimes I the UEFA Cup look like a stronger competition with bigger teams in it. Definitely. I see, I remember, was it 96 where Rovers played Bayern Munich did they not yeah. in the UEFA Cup, which you just wouldn't, it's unthinkable now. Yeah, absolutely. Never happened. But talk about UEFA Cup, my only experience with Dunfermline is more recent, uh, 2004, I think it was. Got to the Scottish Cup final, we, we got to the UEFA Cup through that, and uh, we come up against Hafna Fjorda from Iceland, who, is, as usual, is full of teachers and fishermen and road workers and, and they pumped us absolutely pumped <laughs> over two legs out the first qualifying round gone dream over 
And then it happened two years later again. We played Hacken, BK Hacken of Sweden. Again, they absolutely pumped us. It's just, how, how many times does that happen to Scottish teams? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and, and it happens to what we consider our, our better teams as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's not even just a, a close run thing. Sometimes it's like they look well ahead of us. Mm-hmm fitness and technique and just tactics yeah how can that be i don't know but i think if we knew the answer to that we wouldn't be in a podcast talking about football from the past and it's still going on now is it not last season kilmarnock ended up going out to was it barry town maybe from wales yeah straight away it's just unbelievable it's i think aberdeen's been cursed with it as well a fair bit over the years Mm. i think i think aberdeen have been i think that's general aberdeen though if I'm being honest, that over the years they have they haven't reached the heights that maybe a lot of people have set for them or expect from them. Yeah. Whether it be in the league or whether it be in in these competitions or the cup or anything like that. That all goes back to the Fergie time, doesn't it? The expectation yeah. levels. Dundee United as well are massive, massive clubs, but the support the supporters have massive expectations all the time because of what they've achieved in the past. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always compare Aberdeen with Liverpool down in England for years. Mm-hmm. At the start of, start of each season, the tips would be, oh, this is going to be a Liverpool season, this is going to be Aberdeen season. And invariably, they, they, they flattered to deceive and they disappointed. So, again, yeah, it's it's living on this, I'm, I'm not saying they live on the past glories, but it's it's sort yeah. of expecting that that's, that's the benchmark, that's what they should be going for. Which I absolutely yeah. get, but you know, over time when that's not happening, you've got to start saying, actually, where are we punching at that point? Yeah, uh, let's be realistic here. Yeah. But both massive clubs and good luck to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right, across the page, we've got this, uh, another advert. So this is Dixon's number one for games. So this will probably be more your territory, Mikey, Brilliant. rather than, than us. So. Yeah. We've got Sega Master System, Sega Mega Drive, Sega Game Gear, Sega NES, Sega Game Boy games. Yeah, I've I've heard the, all those words, and I've heard the, them all put together like that. But I probably couldn't point out which was which and anything like that. So talk us through it. So the the Master System was out first, I think, round about this time, and then the Mega Drive come out early nineties, just after it. So. I think I'm looking at these games here. I think I have pretty much them all. <laughs> uh, Donkey Kong, Paperboy, Sonic the Hedgehog, which was a massive Sega game. Wonder Boy, incredible. I remember the first uh, Sega game I had was a three, was three games on one disc, which was fascinating at the time. It was like, this is the best thing ever. But three yeah. games here in one. Um, and it was Sonic the Hedgehog, Golden Axe, and Shinobi, it was called, which was a ninja, ninja game. Yeah, I recognise that. Remember that? Uh, I got that with the Sega on Christmas Day. I think it was '94. Played it from morning to night. Just absolutely obsessed with it. The first first uh, football game I had was FIFA '96, which I'm sure had Jason Maketia and a Dutch player on the cover. Um, from memory, it might have been Van Basten. Did he still been playing about '95, '96? What a combination! Oh, I'm sure it was Jason Maketia. If you look look at a Google image, hmm. well, FIFA '96 the Sega. Would he, would he, he would have been with Ireland in the Ireland. World Cup, wouldn't he have? So, yeah. I suppose it's not as crazy as you maybe think. And then the following, 97, had David Dav- or David Girola in his Newcastle shirt mm. on the cover. Still remember it. Brilliant. So, would you say the Sega Master System, was it the one you had? What, what's, what was the best one of your childhood or your, your teenage years? What would you say? Best computer system? Yeah. Ah, oh, Sega. Mm. Uh, Mega Drive. 
by by a mile. I had a Game Boy as well. Um, I seem to remember having Nigel Mansell. Is it Nigel Mansell? Formula mm. One driver. Yeah, yeah. Has his game Tetris, which is a big one. Mm. I remember. Oh, I, I remember playing Tetris, but it was on one of these arcade machines. Yeah, <laughs> With yeah. the blocks coming down and trying to fit them in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I Sega Mega Drive for me, that that was the one. Me and my mates used to play that morning and at night. It was just simpler times, mate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at looking at the prices. Not cheap, are they? Mm, nah, not at all. It was it was the kind of time you only got the games for your birthday or Christmas. It wasn't kind of like nowadays where kids just get. Oh, we'll download that game from Amazon for you for two pound ninety nine, or download it on your iPhone straight away, or none of that. It's it's one one of the things games, especially when they call. So so for the record, the Sega Mega Drive games are like thirty five pound and forty pound each. The Sega Master System ten pound and thirty pound. So they're absolutely not cheap. But it's one of the things that I've sort of thought about over the years with this is it's if you if you buy something for forty pound. And let's face it, you couldn't download demos or get demos of these sort of games back then. You may have been able to try them out in the store, but not for very long. It's it's a case of you spend forty pound on a game, and maybe maybe you finish it in the first afternoon, or maybe it's just so rubbish you don't play it again, and you think that's a waste of money. That's a waste of money, and so I, I don't think I would, I would ever been comfortable. Um, I, I think I would. Uh, you'd, you're wearing the bars in Glasgow. <laughs> I've heard of it. I've, I've, I've never, never been. Oh, we need to take you up, Mikey. <laughs> I've been to the bar, bar of Lands for a few gigs, but uh, never yeah. been to the old market. Well, the, the bar is, is it's, it's a shell of what it used to be, isn't it, Tom? But you used to be able to get dodgy games on discs and floppy discs and things like that as well. Oh, so. yeah, you everything up there. Yeah. Well, the, the glory days it was the bars, and then there was Paddy's Market as well. Mm-hmm. Slightly more down market where you could get, you know, bit like tapes, videos and stuff like that as well. Yeah. The equivalent we had through here was at Kinross Market, uh, which is just off the motorway as if you're going to Perth from Dunfermline. So that was a big indoor market and that was the same, you know, your Adidas trousers with two stripes down them and <laughs> <laughs> the copied games and mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll move on to page eleven here and this is a cracking wee article. This is Hoddle's plea to the boot boys. Stop, you're killing our game. So this article is a photo that shows Glenn Hoddle going up for a header. Now he's on his way up, but there's an opponent in the back of him going up for the header as well. It looks as though Glenn is trying to buy a free kick here, if I'm being perfectly honest. <laughs> his eyes are closed, his mouth is open and he's given, you know, as if he's given a yelp. His arms are out from his side and basically his overall demeanour just looks as if he's, he's looking to be filled. The opponent looks way more determined than him in any case. In the background, Colin Calderwood looks on. Now, the article begins, I love it, Sophisticated Swindon manager Glenn Hoddle has urged Graham Taylor and some of the country's top bosses not to drive youngsters from the terraces. Hoddle says, Unless some managers change their ways, kids will be watching rugby instead inside 10 years. I know it's strong, but it's time for action. I'm sick of all the talking. People have been harping on since I was at Spurs, but no one's done a thing to change the way we play. Every top manager from the England boss downwards has got to look at what we are serving up to the kids of today. If all we can teach them is to belt the ball 80 yards up the field, they'll clear off and watch rugby. At least it's in the rules of rugby. So Hoddle reckons the international isolation of a player as talented as Chris Waddle is sending the wrong message to our youngsters. And he says, We're telling them that if they try to play skillfully, they risk not being considered for their country. What type of player are we breeding for the future? Six foot, four inch robots who can run all day. 
He says, England still produce gifted players, but they've been strangled by the system. I don't feel sorry for Chris. I feel sorry for the people in charge who don't understand his talents. I was in the same position as Chris. So were Alan Hudson, Tony Curry and many more. The so-called enigmas. But what's enigmatic about being able to play football the way it should be played? I'd quit if I was told to change my style. If the results are the all-important thing, the game is doomed. <laughs> I love that article. You, you can say that still applies today, though. How, how many conversations go on about, ah, he's got to be six foot four, he's got to be physical, he's got to be quick. Mm. You know, People say if, if Messi had been Scottish, would they have made it? Yep. You know, who, who knows? The game's just, what's that, 91? Mm-hmm. in 2020 and it's still still relevant really I mean it's, it's certainly certainly the case that players do now seem to be more athletic they seem to be taller but it's not as if they can't they can just run. I, I was thinking about this earlier on and you know it's like I, I get that he's saying six foot four inch robots that can run all day which is yes they do but actually technique there's a lot of great technique there in, in yeah. the game so it's not as if that's been lost along the way but yeah, it's it's a it's a really good. I th- I think it's a really good article. He's mm-hmm. he's obviously passionate about it all. To be honest, we can hear that in his in his punditry and his his you know commentary work. He's he's good for a bit of a laugh every now and then. But I think he's a top commentator or pundit. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So just a, let's take a look at Glenn Hoddle, shall we? So he was born in October 1957 in Hayes, Middlesex, in England. And he was at Spurs between 75 and 87, playing 377 appearances, 88 goals in the league. He then moved to Monaco between 87 and 91, played 69 times, scored 27 goals. Then moved to Swindon Town between 91 and 93, 67 games and scored two goals in that time. And he finished up his playing career at Chelsea between 93 and 95, playing 31 games and one goal in the league. He has 12 under-21 England caps, 53 full caps with eight goals. Uh, his managerial career, Swindon Town and Chelsea were both player-manager roles. He then managed England between 96 and 99, managed Southampton between 2000 and 2001, Spurs between 2001 and 2003, and Wolves between 2004 and 2006. The Wolves thing, I don't remember. It's very strange, that, for two no. years. No. Now, as as we know, in, in an interview in the Times in January 99, Hoddle gave an interview that revealed a controversial, controversial belief that the disabled and others had been punished for sins in a former life. Now, because of this, his contract with the FA was terminated um, the following month. Regarding his honours, as a player at Spurs, he's won two FA Cups, a Charity Shield, UEFA Cup in 83-84, won the first division with Monaco in 87-88, as player manager, he won the Football League First Division playoffs with Swindon Town in 93. He was a runner-up in the FA Cup with Chelsea in 93-94. He was a League Cup runner-up with Spurs between 2001 and 2002. You, you forgot the thing, Andy. Sorry? He's gold discs on top of the pops. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Diamond Lights. Was it Diamond Lights? Diamond Lights. Yeah, yeah Hodlin Waddle. Yep. There you go. Who was it that played the sang him twice in the the one top of the pop store? Oh, it was uh, well, it was actually uh, more than one. It was Glenn uh, Glenn Hoddle and Ray Clemens uh, and Steve Archibald. So the three of them were on for Tottenham's FA Cup final song, and they were both on for the England and Scotland's uh, World Cup songs. That was all in the same episode. It's cra- crazy. It's crazy thinking back that there were football songs in the charts like that. <laughs> 
it's it's absolutely crazy. That... Well, there was a, there was an Unfermland song as well, Mikey, wasn't there? There was. There the was. Um... On the EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> right. Aye, big Lee will tell you some good stories about that. But uh, it coincided in 1985 with the club centenary year, so it was 100 years from from they were they were founded. So. I think EastEnders had started on BBC that, that year, so Leishwee's PR uh, mind, mindset as usual thought we'll tap into that. So they, the, one of the directors at the time, Blair Morgan, and his son wrote, wrote this really cheesy song to the EastEnders theme, and uh, they ended up on Pebble, was it Pebble Mill? <laughs> on the BBC. Uh, and Leish will tell you if you get them on one, one time. They, they went down on a bus, all got steaming watching porno tapes on the bus. It's <laughs> hilarious, hilarious. But um, no, it's, uh, I had that record as a kid. My, I remember my dad giving me it. Uh, we had an old record player. I used to play the, the A side was EastEnders, the B side was the Dunfermline song, right. which which was sang by Gregor Abel, who was Jim's mm-hmm. number two at Dunfermline. Ah, okay. um, He's a clean mind. Indeed, aye, indeed. Mm-hmm. But Gregor Abel was a PE teacher. Yeah. And didn't want to go full time in football, so okay. he stepped aside and he or no come in, yeah. uh, which ended a bit sour uh, for Big Leash and Dunfermline. one, but we'll get on to that, I'm sure, at some point. Well, I still sing that when I hear the East End of Steam tune. Along <laughs> to East. Yeah. But... It's a, it is a classic. And the video's on YouTube as well, if anyone's not seen it or, or heard it. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking right now, the very fact that we're talking about this means it has to go into the webpage for the show, so. <laughs> I'm I'm going to have to look it out and and find it and pl- watch it. So there we go. Uh, the place in the charts, thought, you know. I, I didn't. I don't think it charted. No, but um, what 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 Lee's done as well because the players are obviously so bad at singing, and he tapped into your Nazareths and big countries at the time and, and all your local Dunfermline bands. Uh, and he also his wife Mary was involved in Kelty Musical, which where he stayed. So he actually got talented uh, musicians to to sing in the song. <laughs> and the player, a lot of the players had to mind because they were told just to, to shut their mouth. <laughs> so, uh, I um, some good stories from Lee. I'm sure we can uh, can arrange to get them on this at some point. Yeah, absolutely. You'll be here for, you'll be here for days. Listen to <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Listen, we're going to jump out of the magazine for a wee minute, and we're going to do a focus on Mikey. So, we're going to focus on yourself, and you'll be aware of these features within the magazines, where it's just a bunch of standard questions so i'm going to fire them at you and let me have your answers okay go for it i'll do my best okay full name yep so my full name michael ross mockievich birthplace uh first car my first car was a silver peugeot 206 i think it was about 2006 i got that and i'm six foot five so i'm not exactly small Uh, i got this peugeot because i thought it's a smart car that and then I started driving it and realised, I can't fit in this. <laughs> Absolute nightmare. So I was basically sitting in the back seat to drive this thing. <laughs> so I traded it in after about three months, yeah. and then I got a black Ford Focus, which was uh, a bit more roomy. Good stuff. Who's your favourite player of all time? Oh, of all time? It's not a Dunfermline player. Well, I've got, I could pick a Dunfermline one, and I could pick one that was a hero. Go for it. G- give me two of them then. Right. So my hero growing up... Uh, was Ali McCoist. Mm-hmm. I loved Ali McCoist. I just thought he was absolutely brilliant. And then I was still quite young when he started all his TV career on your question of sports and McCoist and Macaulay. So I just thought he was a great guy. Yeah. I'd love to meet him. I've actually, he was at East End once when I worked there and I never got a chance to meet him. 
but I'd love to meet him one day. And my Dunfermline hero, there was quite a few, quite a few growing up. Um, but the big one for me was Norrie McCarthy. Mm. And he was just an absolute great guy. I remember I was quite lucky because one of my good mates from growing up was a boy called Sean. And his mum and dad were good friends with Norrie McCarthy and John Watson, who were really best pals. And mm. they owned quite a few pubs in the town. So I got to meet him quite a, quite a bit uh, growing up. And he was just this massive, good-looking, tanned guy. And you thought... <laughs> What a guy. What a guy he is. You probably thought, I want to be like him one day, and look at you. Massive, <laughs> tan, good-looking guy. I've not got a moustache yet, though. <laughs> I need to grow that one. <laughs> but I was I actually met him in Dunfermline High Street about a week before he passed away. Yeah. With my dad. He, my dad knew him as well. Um, my dad was quite a, a well-known guy in the town. Um, and I spoke to him in Dunfermline High Street just before he died, and I can still remember it like it was yesterday. It was just... I'm sure you'll remember as well, Clyde Bank. We yeah. Norrie, Norrie passed away and we played Clyde Bank the first game back and just uh he's he's come back for three two nothing down, is that right? I think we went we went two nothing two nil up. Up right flying and then right. Clyde, uh, Clyde Bank came back into it. Yeah. Uh, and then we won. Craig Robertson scored a wonder goal in the last last second, which was highly emotional charge, but not just that game, but that whole season really. And that's what got me hooked into Dunfermline as well. Yeah. That season. Two good player, two great players to pick there. So I'm glad they gave you both options. Okay, favorite team? The fair one. Yeah, I'm one of these guys who I've got a Scottish team and an English team. So the fair one all the way. I'm fanatical. Uh, maybe not so much now uh, that I'm older, but I'm, I'm pushing that onto my children now. Yeah. So. Uh, and then my English team's Coventry, which I think we spoke about before on Twitter, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the story goes back to when I was a kid, my mum's family were all based down there. So we used to go down there in the summer holidays. Um, so I always went down, bought the shirt, bought a, bought a football. Um, and then my cousin, uh, his wife was involved with Carlin. She was like a sales rep for Carlin. They were a big sponsor of Coventry, uh, late 90s. So I used to get to go to Highfield Road, uh, see the players, get a tour around the stadium. Uh, so I was really lucky. I've, I've always followed Coventry as well. And uh there's a link now with Roy Barry as well, who's a Dunfermline legend. Yeah, well, that, that's who I thought. That's why I thought you were supporting them. So that's what we were talking about. And I, I said, were you supporting them because of Roy Barry as a connection? Hi, no, no, not at all. It was just pure chance. Um, and Roy's Roy's was another good guy you to get on this actually. Yeah, he's got some amazing stories. Uh, Roy's a really, really good guy. He still looks fit as a fiddle in the photographs I've seen him. Brilliant. He he works out every day. Runs up and down his stairs. Does press ups. <laughs> plays golf regular. Still works. Yeah. You know, Roy, Roy must be mid 70s anyway. Mm. You know, that's a great guy. Yeah, great stuff. So, your most memorable match? Can I give you three? Oh, come on. You're, you're already pushing the yeah, other okay. ones. Right, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. <laughs> uh, most memorable one uh, for me is 95 96, last game of the season, uh, where we had to beat Everett to win the league uh, and we won 2 1. Uh, Andy Smith scored early doors and then Peter Heatherson scored an absolute screamer for Airdrie equalised and then we got a penalty with about 10 minutes to go and uh, Mark Miller put that away um, I still remember we we had to wait because the week leading into that game every member of the press thought Dundee United would win that title, title. they had unbelievable players unbelievable squad and the, the trophy had gone to Capolo they were playing Morton through at Capolo so we had to wait about 45 minutes for this helicopter coming from Capo to Fife to deliver the trophy. So I can still remember the, the orange helicopter flying over East End Park um, 
to, to stop to, to bring the trophy over. So, so what, what was that like though? That wait was it just complete? Was it celebration the whole time, or was it a bit sort of anticipation? But I can imagine that as soon as they start hearing the the helicopter and stuff, things would just mm-hmm. start roaring up. Well, what what happened was, um, as usual, you win the league. It's, there's this massive pitch invasion. There was quite a bit of a bother with the stewards and police trying to get fans off. So that took a bit of time up, and then the players come back out and kind of done a lap of honour start throwing their boots and their shirts into the crowd and then by then they come out with a Peyton's Premier Pars t-shirts on and mm. done their presentation. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, so what's been your biggest thrill? Biggest thrill? Becoming a dad probably is the, the biggest one twice um, in my, my personal life but football-wise becoming general manager at Dunfermline was just a dream come true at the time. So so you you were working already, you were doing the, the digital stuff at, yeah. at the club. Uh, how, how did it come about? getting the general manager role? Aye, so uh, it was kind of by chance. I, I was involved back in about 2012, 2013. It, it started going a bit belly up for the club. And there was all the chat of administration and then liquidation potentially. And I, I got involved with a like a subcommittee group called Pars United and basically offered my services to do marketing, graphic design, social media, uh, website, just all your digital kind of content. And then it kind of grew from there. I got involved with fundraising events, producing merchandise to raise money. And then a chance conversation with a guy who turned out to be Ross MacArthur, who's now the club chairman, at a fundraising night. And I just went off on one about, we need to be doing this. We need to be involved in the community. We need to be engaging with schools. We need to be upgrading our website. We need to be active on social media. I just fired all this stuff at him. And he was just like, wow, I want to get you involved. And then I was a volunteer for about four years. So I took over the social media um, with a guy, Craig Brown, who's still there. He's a club photographer, really talented boy. And uh, so we were involved in designing kits, all your social media content, video content, your club program, the website. And it kind of just grew from there. I got called in for a meeting and uh, Ross offered me offered me the job. And I didn't even have to look at the job description. It was just, uh, I'll, I'll take that 100%. Yeah. I remember at the time you were producing some, some programs that were... Ahead of everything else, the the retro yeah. look ones, is, I remember them really well. No one else was doing it, and then everybody followed. Of course, we, we were pretty, we were groundbreaking in many ways. Like we we were the first, I think, in Scotland to launch Snapchat, which got ridiculed at the time. <laughs> um, we done the retro merchandise, retro programs. Um, we were bringing back stuff like if if a supporter wrote to the manager, we'd would write a letter back, send a signed photo, send a fixture card, you know, all the kind of stuff we got as kids. Mm-hmm. It kind of disappeared. We were doing all that. And then social media side, you know, we were we were leading on so many, so many things. Live content, um, on this day, behind the scenes content, like getting to know the players, showing in the manager's office on transfer deadline day, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it just it flew. It absolutely flew. And we were getting approached by clubs down south, uh, asking how we're doing things and who's behind it, and it was just, it was a great time, great to be involved in it. One of the things I really remember, it was, a, I don't know if it was a new kit or a commemorative kit or something like that, and I remember speaking mm-hmm. to you about it, and the detail that went into it, making sure that the, the stripes on them were just the right thickness and things yeah. like that, and that sort of detail, I think, is... Yeah, that was um, 2017-18 season, so that was marking 50 years from winning the Scottish Cup, mm-hmm. uh, 1967-68 season. Yeah. What what we me and Craig Craig Brown the photographer we used to sit down every day just about and thrash ideas out and 
right, how are we going to execute this video-wise and how are we going to do it on social media? So we come up with this idea, the Laugh of Honour. And the story goes, in 1968, Roy Barry was the club captain. They won the cup, they beat Harps 3-1, and the police stopped them doing a Laugh of Honour round Hamden because the previous season there had been riots between, I think it was Rangers and Aberdeen or something. Mm. The guys never got their Laugh of Honour, so we felt that could dedicate that season to them. And we would do a lot of things throughout the season. We'd have a dinner, we'd have a special strip, we'd have merchandise, we'd get the guys back to Hamden to lift the cup again and all that. So it was, it was a great campaign. So what we asked to do, we, we got some of the original players in, Alex Edwards, Stuart Payton, Roy Barry, Willie Callaghan, Tommy Callaghan, proper club legends. And a lot of them still had their cup final shirts. So we, we had them out on the boardroom table measuring it. We had Andy Barrowman from Joma, a former Dunfermline player. We measured every single detail from the collar to the stripes, the, the colour, the pantone colour, the white, black, you know, so we, we tried to get it as exact as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, even down to the socks. The socks were exact from the originals. Um, and you'll probably remember the, the promo video we put together with me, with the ruler out on the boardroom table, yeah. signing off the design and the guys looking at old photos and stuff. It, it, was, it was a great campaign and I think it was probably one of the best-selling shirts the club's mm. had for the last 30 years anyway. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, that sort of level of detail and that sort of passion for things like that are right up my street, as you know. So, great work. Oh, yeah. That was absolutely brilliant. We, we'd done it a, a couple of seasons previous as well to mark uh, the, the anniversary of Norrie McCarthy's death. Yeah. And um, we brought back a, a special, the red and blue square shirt, which you probably remember from the mid-90s. And that was the last shirt he wore against St. Mirren away before he, he sadly passed. So... We've done that as well. It's called the Spirit Campaign. And again, we, we couldn't bring in enough shirts. Were, I think we sold 500 in 24 hours. So it was just incredible. Well, it's, I, I still think it's a it's a trick. Well, just, I don't know if I want to call it a trick, but it's something that a lot of clubs just are still missing out on. I mean, Clyde yeah. Bank, for example, for the last three seasons, four seasons, have their strips have been a throwback to what we most people consider their, their iconic and their classic kit and yeah. you know it's been the the supporters are, are lapping them up the you know on, on social media and other people are looking at them and saying wow these, these are amazing these kits as well so it's it's just something that's been missed by by a lot of clubs and, and I don't understand why they would you know it's such a simple simple concept simple idea but I think what you've got you've got a lot of people who work in football clubs who might not be supporters of the football club. They, they maybe just don't get it. You remember a few years ago when Leeds tried to change their badge into that <laughs> terrible. Like you think for your football club, you would never make that decision. Who 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 would put that decision through? That's a Leeds United supporter. You know, I don't know. But for me, we just made simple. As supporters, we knew what the supporters wanted, mm. so that was the decisions we made. And thankfully, they all went to plan. Who was it? Was it Cardiff or Swansea that that changed the colour? Change the colour, yeah. Yeah, went in red. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I get get that point entirely. That is a good Mm -hmm. point that people just don't have a connection with it. Okay, listen, but but back to the question. So, what's been your biggest disappointment? Biggest disappointment. Hmm, that's a difficult one, boys. Difficult one. Um, I think my biggest, probably in a way, it's a disappointment. I I had offers to go down south, workwise, in football. And I never took them. It was it's probably family reasons, to be fair. I'd had two young kids and it was a difficult decision, but you always kind of think, what if, what might happen? I had a wee sniff of an opportunity to go to Liverpool at one point. Um, 
and you just you kind of think, what if, you know? I'm happy. So yeah, was this after your general manager appointment or? It was during it. Right. It was during it. Yeah, a job, a position had come up down there. I spoke to a few people and they they, they seriously recommended I went for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were well aware of who I was. So yeah, yeah, that was that was something that you, you kind of think. You know, I could have been lifting the Champions League trophy <laughs> <laughs> and all the rest of it behind the scenes. But um, yeah. I probably, it's maybe not a disappointment, but, you know, you kind of, you maybe think, what? Well, yeah, okay. So what's the best country that you've visited? Best country I've visited? Um, I've not been to many, to be fair. I'm, I'm a Turkey and Spain kind of guy for my holidays, so I'm going to choose Spain. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm I'm quite a fan of the old Magaluf and Palma Nova. <laughs> <laughs> um, my oh. party boy days. Right. Okay, we'll accept that. We'll accept. What's your favourite food? Favourite food, Thai. Thai. No question. Okay. Thai food. Miscellaneous likes. So give us two things that you like to do. Right. One one's probably up your street, guys, but it's sad to others. But I love looking at old photographs of, of football, mm. uh, especially if I'm athletic. If if someone says to me that oh, I've, I've got some pictures of the 1960s i'm fascinated you know i love looking at stuff that especially if you find a photo that you've never seen before i could sit for hours every day just looking at old photos um and i was quite fortunate again part of my role at, at dunferman when when i got involved the club had no archive of photography absolutely zero so we built that up and i think i'm sitting about three hundred thousand images when i left wow um so we contacted uh, your daily records his son Dunferland Press uh, ex-club photographers and started to build up this archive again so you know that was a labour of love and I, I've still got the discs with a lot of the images on it and I still sit and go through them and any clay bank ones dig, dig them out there's loads there's absolutely loads um, I'll have a look for you guys but there's quite a quite a bit from the 95-96 the season there's Ken Edie's and James Grady's fantastic the wet wet wet, wet shirts on yeah. I tell you what, you know, considering how, you know, much of a legend to as Kennedy is, there's not a great deal of photographs of him out there, really. It's, it's usually George Rowe and other ginger people that get mistaken for him. Was it Paul Harvey? Was he, yeah. was he at Clyde Bank as well? Yeah. He was a good, good wee player. But I, I remember, um, being a, again, going back to Norrie McCarthy, I think Kennedy was a good pal of Norrie's. Uh, and John Watson, who played for Airdrie back in the early 90s, uh, after they left on Fairman. But I remember being at Norrie McCarthy's memorial service and meeting Kenny Day. Um, for some reason, my dad, my dad knew him. Um, I remember seeing him outside the ground and, and chatting to him and meeting him. But he, he is a legend. He, he's not got quite a good record the goal scoring. It's like you say, he's not. It doesn't get much coverage. Yeah, no, he's he's absolutely a legend for us. Top goal scorer for the club. Yeah. Okay, so give us your your second like. What, what else do you like doing? Uh, graphic design. Uh, I'm a big graphic designer so I'm quite sad that I, like, I'm looking at this magazine now and I'm looking at the, the typefaces and <laughs> the format and the colours that are used and yeah. you know I love all that stuff I never get bored of walking about outside and looking at signage and I wonder how they've done that and you know constant that'll, that never goes away so I'm quite passionate about that you must look at the especially the older shoot magazines where the fonts they used was were crazy it was like yeah. I, I keep thinking that they must have got a delivery of fonts and says over the next year we've got to use every single one of these because it's like they, they just there was one I posted the other day and it was sort of this balloon type with a shadow mm-hmm. and it's like that just doesn't fit I know but you see see using it now it's if you use it now on a, on a spread people it, it, your mind goes back to yeah child 
and, and seeing that. So people, as much as it's bad, it works now mm-hmm. for certain things, obviously. Yeah, yeah, spot on. So on the flip side, two things, miscellaneous dislikes, two things that dra- drive you up the wall that you don't like. Uh, arrogance. I'm not a fan of arrogant people who don't, uh, you shouldn't be arrogant pretty much that yeah. really drives me insane and ego like the same thing egos and working in football the amount of that that goes on is <laughs> frightening yeah it's a, it's a funny world with that um you know a lot of people who work in football at certain levels seem to think what's in it for me mm. and not what's in it for the supporters what's in it for for the players what's in it for the long term you know so that that, that used to drive me insane it's it's one of these things that I think if they if they realise that if they give you know everything for for a relatively short time then they then become potentially a legend at that club or any club that they yeah. play at and it's it's all about yeah. maybe giving even giving a year of everything or a couple mm-hmm. of years and it's like if if you treat it like if you have a big ego and you think you're bigger than the club then it's when oh. you leave that club people are just going to remember that yeah. Definitely, it's like being involved in football. It opens your eyes. It's a, it's a funny, funny world. Okay, so next question: favorite TV show of all time? Oh, of all time, um, Over a Thousand Horses. Okay, favorite singers? I'll give you two: singers or band. Right, I'm going going to go for a Dunfermline one in Big Country. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan of Big Country. I can listen to them even now. I think their music's still fairly relevant and still feels fairly fresh. And I'm going to go with the Stone Roses. There's another one. I worked in a pub in St Andrews when I was up in uni and it was a quiet afternoon. There was a couple of people in the pub and then this family comes in and I'm just serving away, cleaning up. And all of a sudden, big country come on in the jukebox. So I look over and there's a, there's a wee, wee girl that's obviously put it on and she comes over to the bar and joins the family over there. And who was it? Stuart Adamson. And I just, wow. thought, I just thought... Imagine that going into a going into a pub and putting your dad's music on. That's brilliant. I love Incredible. that. Yeah. But see, see, going back to I was talking about Nonny McCarthy, John Watson. They they ran pubs in Dunfermline. So on a Saturday night, they'd be playing three o'clock on Saturday. Then Saturday night, they'd be pulling pints in the pub. <laughs> and all yeah. the punters. You could never think of that now. And Stuart Adamson was the same. Yeah. He had a pub in Dunfermline called Tapatouris, which is still there. He, when he wasn't touring, he'd be bring the bar pulling pints. It's just or playing acoustic sets. It's just incredible. You would never get that now. Yeah. And he, he he was a superstar, really. When you think about it. Yeah, they were a big band, big big country. Mm-hmm. A long period. There was a stadium band as well. Yeah, it was the same as Stuart Adams, and apparently he used to just he was asked to join the board of directors at Dunfermline and rejected it. Again, a guy who was not in it for ego whatsoever. He would rather stand behind the goals in the terraces. And that's what he used to do. Fair play, you know. You take your hat off to to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, favourite actors? So, you can give me two actors. I'm going to go with Martin Comston, mm-hmm. uh, who I met, luckily I met through Gordon Smart before. He's a really really nice guy as well. Um, and I'm going to go with David Jason for The Only Fools and Horses Link. Okay, nice one. Best friend, who's your best friend? Uh, I can't really pinpoint a best friend, to be honest, but you know yourselves when you go to school you always have a best friend but as you grow older you kind of meet new people in different age groups and all the rest of it and I've kind of I've got my football circle I've got my, my work circle and uh, I've got I've got quite a few best friends to be honest I can't really name one so when it comes to the day of getting married I'm going to have a bit of, bit of an issue like <laughs> <laughs> a best man yeah. okay final question which person in the world would you most like to meet Um, I said Alan McCoy earlier so he's certainly up there 
Um, I'm going to stick with Ali McCoy. I'd yeah. love to go for a beer with Ali McCoy. So I think he'd be a good chat. Okay. Yeah. I agree with that, absolutely. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, Mikey, if you had been a professional footballer, what would your ideal career have been? Career, right. Yeah. Uh, club-wise, who would I play for? Yeah. Well, the dream is always to play for Dunfermline. Uh, as you guys would do the same with Clyde Bank, I'm sure. Um, and the next, I, I got to experience the next big thing was, was to work for them. You know, that's the next best thing. Uh, but the dream career would have been start off at Dunfermline and, and probably go go to a Man United or a Barcelona. Sounds sound fairly glamorous. Right. Would you finish there or come back? I think I think you'd want to come back for a big hero's <laughs> welcome. It doesn't matter about money. I want to retire at my boyhood club, that kind of that kind of part. <laughs> yeah, what Wayne Rooney was going to do at Everton before it went a bit sour, yeah. ended up going to Derby. Okay, so thanks for that. We're going to just talk about our uh, podcast charity partner. So each season we, we team up with a charity and the, the, the purpose is to, to get them exposure, to hopefully get them sort of funds and money and things like that. So... Our charity partner this season is the West Dunbartonshire Community Food Share. Okay, so I'm just going to give a little readout here what they what they're about. So this charitable organisation provides various services and support to the local community, including the following: a school uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons, and a baby bank. They provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families. And we'll be looking to support them any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money, support in the form of volunteers. But we'll also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do. And also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from them are aware that these vital services actually exist. You can follow them on the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share group on Facebook or westdumbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk for the website. And also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts, shoot TB underscore podcast and Scott's footy cards for updates and news on our charity partner. So what we do, Mikey, is we, for each show, we have a, a corresponding web page where we, we put all the details that we talk about. So all the, the pages, the photos, if there's videos, we'll be putting links to that. Anything we talk about, we create a page and it allows the, the listener to look through it and see what we're seeing as well at the same time. So they can either just listen to it or they can listen to it and go through it as well, which I think does help uh, yeah. a lot of people. So on that as well, we, we will include donate, a donate button and we create a goodie bag that includes the likes of the, the original magazine that we spoke about. We will throw in other goodies as well. I'll put other cards, stickers, other magazines as well. I'll, um, I'll, I'll dig something out this end as well. Excellent. That'd be great. So... So with that, what we do is for each each pound that's donated, it gets you sort of like a, a virtual raffle ticket. And at the end of the season, when we draw the raffle, the winner will get the goodie bag and the money that's raised will go to the food share as well. So so that that's part of what we do. So what we're trying to we're trying to push push that a lot more. So we'll, we'll be pushing it on the, the web page and the Twitter account and things like that as well. And as we say at this moment in time, given the the whole COVID scenario and situation that we're in, it's probably more needed than ever, mm-hmm. sadly. But um, yeah, we're going to do all we can. The West Dunbartonshire Community Food Share, and I always say that's Dunbartonshire with an N rather than an M. Going, going back to the FIFA, I've I seen the cover. It's Jason McAteer and Ronald Dubois, Tom. Yeah. Of course. Of course. 
So with that, we'll jump back into the magazine, and we're on page twelve. So this is this is the one. There we go. Um, what I remember most about this team team photo, it's, not, it's a wee bit before my time, but um, the film got to the Skull Cup final round about this time, yeah. and uh, I remember my dad got me the program for it, and this was a team poster that was in the program. What gets me about that poster as well, like one of the, one of the things that we done when when I took over, well, 2013 when Paris United took over the club, we, we refreshed the club badge, so it was a slight slight rebrand. Um, I was going to ask you what about a wee bit about the club badge, too, if you can sort of talk us through it a wee bit? Aye, so it has varied over the years. The, the club badge was designed in the, in the late 50s uh, and appeared on the 60-61 shot for the first time. And then disappeared after that and it was just the candy candy stripe shirts until the late 70s when they are bucked up. In fact, sorry, we wind up the early 70s with an all-white shirt. Uh, we got rid of the stripes because the club were so skint they couldn't afford the, the kits for the stripes. Wow. So they, they had a round badge with DFC letters on it for one season. Uh, and then the late 70s into uh, mid-80s, they had the DFC letters on the Buckter shirts. And then when Big Leash got the Umbro deal in 86-87 season, he brought the, the original badge back, which is the one that's on that. Okay, so here we, we have the Dunfermline team photo. Um, before we go through any of the players or that, let's just have a wee description of what's going on in this photo. The photo itself has the Dunfermline badge on the top right corner, and it's a cracking badge. And then there's also the club call number, 36 pence cheap rate, 48 pence other times, if you want to catch up in the, the Dunfermline gossip. It looks a bit, I've, I've always thought that's this team photo, it looks a bit overcast and foggy in the background, because yeah. you can't see anything yeah. really in, in, the, in the stands or the terracing behind it. That's the stand behind the, that's the home end stand, I think, down the bottom. Right. The looks of it. And I'm just because it doesn't look particularly cold, so it's mm-hmm. probably one of these ones that's been taken, uh, you know, sort of pre-season start of the season. Although that fact, actually, now I look at the the pitch, the pitch looks as though it's seen a little bit of action. So maybe it's a bit closer to that sort of time. But the kit, the kit's a number kit, and it's got the landmark sponsor. Would you say the landmark is the iconic sponsor of the firm? Yeah, for, for me anyway, I think for my generation, I think Landmark come in at 89, right up until 99. So I, I think I think Landmark is synonymous with, with Dunfermline shirts, without a doubt. Mm. So the kit is white with thin black pinstripes and a black collar and cuffs. Uh, the shorts are black and the socks are white with black umbro diamonds around the top. The Looking at the boots, most boots appear to be Puma, but I think there's a couple Puma of um, umbro as well among the backroom team. I think uh, Billy Davis or Diodoros. All right, I was thinking. I think I thought they were mitre. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I thought they were mitre once. Maybe we'll get a closer look at that. Craig Robertson in the middle row looks like he's sporting a pair of Lotto boots as well. Uh, yeah, good yeah, spot. So, and Andy Rhodes is doing that thing we goalkeepers started <laughs> to do, where he's crossing his arms so you can see the goalie gloves. I think that's because he had a sponsorship deal with Sundico, yeah. I think, at the time. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, they are Sundico gloves. His top's blue with a dark blue triangular pattern in the shape of a V. I don't know if that makes sense across the top. It does if you see it. Yeah, that that, that goalkeeping thing, sort of, it was obviously about them mm-hmm. just saying, listen, I'm, I'm getting sponsored by these, so here we go, here's the gloves. Are they not used to do that kind of pose as yeah. well? Quite a lot yeah, of I've seen plenty of that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But I mean, I remember doing that myself on a team photo, probably around about back this sort of time when I was at uni and I did that. But I was I had to buy them myself, so there was nothing. It was probably just copying the the goalkeepers of the time. What other thing I did notice is Milos Drizic is huge. <laughs> but actually, when 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 I looked at his details, you're taller than him, Mikey. Yeah, I think he was six foot four. Six foot four, yeah. Mm. Now, I'm going to quickly, there's um, Paul O'Brien is the first one in the top left-hand corner. Mm-hmm. Now, when I as soon as I see Paul O'Brien, he is <laughs> in the greatest team photo <laughs> of all time. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I, rem- oh, I hadn't seen it until you guys were, were promoting it through, through Twitter. The old Queen's Park The one. Queen's Park one. So let me just share that <laughs> for a wee second. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's. I just this. This is my favourite thing. I think of of all time. It's just such uncomfortable poses and. (laughs) So so for for the listeners, it's a Queen Park Queen's Park photograph, and they're all lined up, almost side on, but they're uncomfortably close to each other as well. And but they've all just got their their arms down, sort of on the on their sides. Their hands are on on the thighs. And yeah, if you if you look in the faces each and every one of them, there's a story to tell. There's a different story most of it as well. So that was it. Paul, Paul O'Brien. When I saw that, that's exactly what what it made me think of. I don't think he played a lot of games for Dunfermline. Certainly not a, a name that crops up very often. Yeah. So do you, do you want to read through, talk through some of the the players in this in this photo, Mikey? Aye. Uh, well, the ones the ones that spring to mind here: George O'Boyle, who was a great player for Dunfermline. It went a bit sour because he got a bad injury. Club paid his wages for a couple of seasons and he, he went to St. Johnson claiming they were a bigger club than Dunfermline. So he, he was a great player for the club but it all went a bit sour. Andy Rhodes was a was a highly rated goalkeeper. Uh, one of Jim Leishman's last ever signings just before he, he got the old punt. Uh, he was tipped for England I think at one point when he was down south. Um, Big Milos, I don't think he was there very long. I don't think he played many games but a bomb scare by all accounts. Mm. Actually, with Milos, six foot five, so he's the same height as you. There you go. Yeah. So he's probably as good as football as me as well. Which isn't <laughs> uh, the other one in the back row, Chris Sinclair, who his dad Jackie Sinclair played in the the sixties for Dunfermline. He went down to Newcastle and Leicester, I think. Yeah. Won the Fairs Cup at Newcastle. He's mm-hmm. a legend down there. His uncle's Willie as well, who played for Falkirk, Huddersfield, and Stirling Albion. Apparently, his, his cousin is Tommy Wright Junior. Played for Leeds, Oldham, Leicester, Bradford and St Johnston. There you go. Right football family. The one next to him, he was at, he was at Rangers for a bit. Tommy Wilson. Tommy Wilson. I think he's out in America now. Um, and then the middle row, uh, I don't know Eddie Gallagher too well. I think, did he come from Ireland maybe? I don't, again, I don't think he played many games. Yeah. Craig Robertson, club legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek McWilliams was there for a wee bit. Isfan Cosma, who's an absolute cult hero at the club, went to Liverpool for decent money in fact I think he's done film's highest ever transfer sign I think they paid just under half a million for him we've got 550,000 is the, the figure I've got he sold to Liverpool for 300,000 there you go but he, I don't remember seeing Cosma it was a bit before my time but from all accounts he was miles ahead he would play passes that other players just wouldn't read so is he still staying over here do you know no Cosma's back in Hungary I think he's only been back across maybe four or five times since he left right. in the early 90s uh, he was across about four seasons ago for a Hall of Fame dinner. He got inducted into the club's Hall of Fame. Okay. But he, he left for Liverpool and, and I think it went a bit wrong down there. I don't think he'd done too well. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a surprise yeah. transfer at the time, eh? It was Sunus at bottom. Um, 
Funes, yeah. Six league games he played? Not much at all, is it? I think, I don't know what happened to him after that, but from, from what I've heard, he, when he was on his game up here, he was world class, and then there was other games he, he would barely touch the ball. Mm. So, And then the guy beside him, we all know pretty well, David Moyes, who I think round about this time, Dunfermo were, were tortured round about this time, until Bert Payton come in, Dick Campbell, Bert Payton, about 93. Um, and I think maybe this season or the season after, David Moyes was the highest goal scorer at the club for a centre. He was a centre half, and the club were, was terrible. Then you've got Mark Harrow, you've got Andy Williamson there, his son Ryan Williamson, who's now at Partick Thistle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at Dunfermline for a bit. And then Raymond Sharp played for Scotland under 21s. He was highly rated again. Went down to Preston, come back up the road, and then just seemed to disappear. Uh, Norman Kelly, I'm not aware of at all. And same with Connington, I'm not I'm not too familiar with. Well, yeah, it's, it's down as Connington, but it's actually Cunnington. I don't know if that makes much of a difference. Right. But he played 84 games in the league for Dunfermline between 90 and 93, so he would have played quite a bit during mm-hmm. these seasons. He's yeah. a left-back. He went to Dumbarton afterwards and then over to Ireland. And then going to the front row, you've got Ian McCall there, who had two spells at the club. He was at the club. Uh, he signed, I think, 87. Big leash signed him and then he went to Rangers. Yep. He, he absolutely ripped Rangers apart in a, in a game uh, and Rangers signed him. As <laughs> that Rangers was the way at the time, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> I think they still, still do it, do they not? So... And then you've got the big legend McCarthy beside him. Yeah. And then you've got the backroom team in an absolute classic tracksuit top, which if someone got their hands on now would pay a good bit of money for. So very rare. Yeah. Is, I, I, I'm guessing those are Umbro tracksuits as well, or are they? Nah, they're Umbro. Uh, Jockey Scott, Gordon Wallace, that was the management team. It didn't go too well. I think they were on hiding to nothing because Big Leash had been unfairly dismissed uh, the season before. There was big protests about that. The board seemed to think that Ian Munro had been was the better coach and was the way forward, and that went wrong. And then Jockey came in, that didn't work either. But I, I remember speaking to Pat Yates, the physiotherapist in that team photo, and he said Jockey Scott was the best manager he ever worked for. Um, so it just it just shows you. And then on the end, you've got Billy Davis and Scott Leach, who both went on to have decent coaching careers as well. So, mm. so just on uh, on Gordon Wallace, or talking about Alan McCoy, state. Gordon Wallace mm. was actually the, the league career goals leader on 264 goals before Alan McCoy surpassed it. He scored 30 in 67-68 to be awarded Footballer of the Year by the Scottish Press and he was the first non-old firm player to win the award. So that's, that's mm. a great achievement there. Jimmy Thompson as well, who's in, in the, the, the coaching, but the, the reserve yeah. team coach, he was signed by Jock Steen when he played at Dunfermline made 308 appearances in total for the club. Yeah, and then a club legend beside him and Joe Nelson, who's a kit man and uh, just a general legend. He was there for about 50 years, I think. Uh, sadly, passed away a few years ago. But going, going back to the shirt, I remember speaking to, I keep name-dropping him quite a bit, but <laughs> Big Leash. Mm. Um, this shirt was actually one of the last things he he done before he, he left the club and he wanted to bring back. The, the club was on the up, the, the crowds were through the roof, the whole buzz about the, the town. The club were not far away from getting back into European football. So he wanted to bring back the 60s kind of look and feel. And that, that was the idea behind this kit. It was the old candy stripes from, from the 60s, which is one of the, the best shirts I think the club's ever had. Yeah, I was, just, I was going to ask you, Mikey, to talk about the, about the shirt and, and what the sort of fans sort of feeling was with, mm-hmm. with the stripes. Yeah, Because I guess teams, maybe like yourself and St Myrna as well, there's sometimes they play a bit with the thickness of the stripes. Yeah. Some well, in St. Mun's case, there's sometimes a kit with just two stripes on it, or pinstripes, or, 
I mean, and do you have a, a preference for fixed stripes or thin stripes or you know sometimes again there's a lot of stripes uh, on it and, and, and it's the kind of thing that uh, if the club wasn't to have stripes would, would fans really be so up in arms about it uh, I, well we actually we've done that I, I wasn't involved and I would never make the decision <laughs> but in 2004 cup final we had a, a strip with one black stripe down it it was a majority white shirt uh, which nowadays is is thought as a classic because it was a cup final shot like Andrea Skeller scored in it uh, but at the time there was uproar because there was no stripes on it but personally for me this is the kind of shot that I like I like the candy stripes the thinner stripes but uh, what, what I found when, when I worked there and obviously deciding what shirts we were going to wear um, you, you can't win with a kit some people will like thick stripes some people will like thin stripes it's near impossible to get a shirt or a kit that all your supporters will like um, but again, similar to St Mirren, you can only vary. You can either have thin stripes one season yeah. and then thick another. You know, yeah, you, you can't much. have a, a strip the following season, which is too similar to the one the previous season, because yeah, yeah. you just won't sell it. Yeah. Regarding regarding the team that's here, so for you personally, in your experience in your lifetime, what would be what period was the best Dunfermline team for you? For me, between nineteen ninety four and nineteen ninety eight. For me, that, that that was my era. Um, a, a wee bit after that, when Jimmy Calder would come in and there was a buzz again because the club was spending silly money and uh, challenging for third place in the league. But the Bert Payton, Dick Campbell era was was just incredible. You know, it was two guys who were Dunfermline fans. They, they, they knew the town, they, they knew the people. They just, they got it. They totally got it. And that whole, for me, there's a certain romance about Dunfermline Athletic, which isn't there anymore. You know, it was there when Bert and Dick were there. You know, they had players... They made sure players uh, shopped in the town, went to fans' events, you know, were seen, were involved with everything. You know, you wouldn't see a Dunfermline player walking Dunfermline High Street now. Uh, you wouldn't even know who they were. It was just a totally different different era. Um, but Bert, Bert and Dick got it, and they knew how important it was to be a family club. Mm. So in terms of players, how many of the players from this team photo would be part of that team, the 94 and 96? There's not many, to be fair. Craig, Craig Robertson was there. He... He was there. He went to Aberdeen and come back to Fairman and he was a captain. He took over after Norrie died uh, as club captain. Uh, Raymond Sharp come back in 96 from Preston for a short stint and then disappeared. Uh, Big Norrie obviously was there. But apart from that, all the rest of the guys were, were away. Mm. Okay. Anything else you want to pick out we move on? Uh, just the just socks. Classic Umbro. Mm. Black diamond socks. Sorry, we actually saw, was it Sheffield United, Tom? We actually saw a team that ruined yeah. Umbro socks. And you think, how can you ruin Umbro socks? It's a single colour with Umbro diamonds around the top. But yeah. the Umbro diamonds must have been maybe two diamonds elongated all the way around. Yeah, and it was just, oh, it was horrible. Horrible. I think I made the point of that. I remember as well, another thing, we got to the Stoke Cup final that year, 91, Hibs beat us 2-0. Um, and going into that final, the, the club reverted back to Red Sox. So they had this shirt on, the, the same shorts, but the red socks, and that was based on the 1961 Cup final, which we won under Joxine. So it was a psychological thing. The club yeah. thought maybe, maybe this could be another, but sadly but, not. But you sort, you sort of touched on it, and that's the way of things in football, that you can have the most garish, horrible kit, but if you do something good that season with it, it mm. then becomes yeah. a classic, doesn't it? Yeah, and that, that's just the way of football. Definitely. So we're going on to pages 14 and 15. So this is blah, 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 blah. And it's just all the soccer gossip from football's number one team. 
So again, there's lots of little stories here. I'm going to pick out a few. I mean, stop me if, if there's anything you want to go through that I haven't picked up. First one is Northern Ireland fans boycott. And it says, Northern Ireland fans are planning to boycott their country's Hamden Park friendly with Scotland in February. One Northern Irish fan club official blasts, we're still angry at the way Scotland and England pulled out the British Championship in the early 80s. They gave the impression they couldn't be bothered playing smaller nations like ourselves and the Welsh anymore. Yeah, I, th I think that lasted quite a while, that, that bitterness, didn't it? Next one, Ali A. Maxwell, Liverpool loan. So there's, along with a little photo of Ali Maxwell, it says, Scottish Cup final hero Ali Maxwell is reaching the end of his second month on loan at Liverpool, but there's no chance of the deal becoming permanent. He's currently standing in for Mike Hooper as Bruce Grobler's understudy. One club monitoring the situation are Watford, who look to lose their own keeper, David James, to the Anfield club. So just a quick profile on Ali Maxwell. Full name, Alistair Espy Maxwell. Do we reckon Tom Espy? E-S-P-I-E? Yeah. Do we reckon that's going to be the Probably thing? Probably mother's maiden name, yeah. Yeah. Guess. yeah. Are you aware of this, Mikey? So a lot of the players that we look at, they have a middle name, and sometimes it's an unusual one, but it turns out right. it's uh, the mother's maiden name quite often, or the, the grandmother's maiden name. And it apparently it appears to be a Scottish tradition. And the example I always give is um, Bob Wilson. So his middle name is Primrose, and Primrose was his mother's maiden name. So we reckon that this is probably what that, this is. As soon as you see something that's a bit strange as a surname, it's prob uh, as mm -hmm. a middle name, it's probably somebody's uh, mother's surname. So he was born in 1965 in Hamilton, and he started at Motherwell and he was there between 83 and 91, playing 134 league games. He played one, one league game for Clydebank on loan, and then moved down to Walton Wanderers on loan as well, before moving to Rangers, where he played 53 games between 92 and 95. So he'd be just, in the, I guess, on the cusp of moving to Rangers after his Bolton Wanderers loan. He then played Dundee United between 95 and 98, and finished up at Morton between 98 and 2001. He's won Scotland B cap, and he actually managed Morton for a, a period in 2001. So, Ali Maxwell there. I don't think, he's, I don't think his Wikipedia page even has his Liverpool loan. Yeah, but would they have played? Yeah, yeah, they would still put loan, but put zero, wouldn't they, if he didn't actually yeah. play? Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Let's get that updated. Mm. Um, John Jeffers, so this is a, another little article, and it's Port Vale's Man of the Match in the Rumbelow's Cup Clash with Liverpool is a secret trekkie. He has every Star Trek video ever made. He even had his features superimposed in a video featuring the Star Trek cast when in holiday in Florida with his teammate Darren Hughes last summer. He says, It's my most favourite treasured possession. I've almost worn it out playing it over and over again. I have to admit, I'm a fan. I'm a big Trekkie myself, so I'm with I'm with John Jeffers here at Port Vale. So hate me if you all you want. I'm a Trekkie. <laughs> Um, next one is on Vinnie Arkins. It says, St Johnston have pipped Celtic for Shamrock Rover striker Vinnie Arkins. Saints paid £55,000 for the man who grabbed 21 goals last season. Arkins, a long-life Celtic fan, said, Liam Brady told me he wanted to sign me, but he already had five or six surplus strikers, and I'd have to wait until we'd unloaded some of them. He wasn't prepared to make a commitment, so I took up St Johnston's offer. So, Vincent Thomas Arkins is his name. He was born in September 1970, born in Dublin, 
And he started. He actually started at Dundee United. He was there between '87 and '89. Didn't make any league appearances. Uh, they moved to Shamrock Rovers between '89 and '91. Made 67 appearances there, scoring 28 goals. Great return. Then he moved to St Johnston between '91 and '93. Played 48 games, scoring 11 goals. Moved back over to Ireland for Shelburne between '93 and '95. Moved to England, Notch County between '95 and '97. Then went back over to Ireland for with Porter down between 97 and 2006 and in that period he played 279 games and scored 179 goals so the boy could score a goal he had a spell at Bohemians and then finished up at St Patrick's as well he actually ha he's got Republic Ireland under 17 he's got League of Ireland caps as well under 21 B Irish League 11 but he doesn't have any full caps when he was at Dundee United he scored 15 goals in their youth team that made it to the Scottish Youth Cup final in 1989. He scored 35 goals in 86 games in all competitions for Shamrock Rovers. And the 55,000 fee mentioned here is described as 40k with add-ons in his bio. However, the terms of the previous deal meant that Dundee United would get 50% of the fee. So I think Dundee United did well out of that. Do you think he was one of the players on a 30-year contract from Jim <laughs> Yeah, that wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. But yeah, He scored 248 goals in 400 four appearances during his nine-year spell with Portadown, and he remains the only player from the Republic of Ireland to be top scorer in the Northern Irish Premiership. It's a nice wee fact, that. So, moving on to misery for Paddy Boner. So, the article here is, Gordon Marshall is ready to add to Pat Boner's misery after ending the big Irishman's run of 155 consecutive games in goal for Celtic. So Marshall, a £270,000 signing from Falkirk last season, warns, warns Paddy Bonner. He says, My chance has come sooner than I expected, but now it's here, I intend to stay in the side for as long as possible. Now Marshall was in and out of the team in his early time at the club. He was sent on loan to Stoke between 83 and 84 before starting to make the number one his own spot when Tommy Burns came in to the club as manager. Just on the next one, Alex Smith hits out at Soonest. So we've heard, we've heard Alex Smith hitting out at Soonest in some other magazines. So let, why not hear it again? Possibly a different one. So Aberdeen boss Alex Smith has hit out at Graham Soonest following the former Rangers manager's latest attack on the Scottish game. Soonest claimed that the Scottish players are always trying to get each other into trouble and that Rangers and Celtic have things all their own way. But Smith storms. He says Soonest should keep his mouth shut he has no credibility left in the game. It would be easy to say at this stage that there are only two clubs in England, but that would be as wrong as it is about Scotland. Aberdeen caused him enough problems in his time in Scotland. His comments should be treated with the contempt they deserve. I think, listen, I, I get Alex Smith a lot there, but the fact that he says he's no credibility left in the game, I don't know where he gets that from. That's I'm, I'm not accepting that. So next one is on Mo Johnson. It says, Mo Johnson is determined to make a wish come true for England boss, Graham Taylor. Everton's new £1.5 million striker reveals, When I left Watford for Celtic in 1984, Graham sent me a letter wishing me all the best and hoping that one day I would prove myself in the English First Division. Now I've got the chance to make his wish come true. I still treasure that letter and was so grateful to him that I sent him my first Scotland cap. That's a great wee story that, isn't it? Did Mo Johnson go to Everton after Rangers? Yes, he did. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, but but I love things like that where you know I think there was uh, Johnny Doyle sent uh, Ali McLeod his first Scotland cap or his Scotland jersey um, because of the they were together at Air United and you know he had a lot of time and 
I think, you know, I just love things like that where players actually do remember the people on their way up. I very rarely hear something good about Mojones. Well, yeah, yeah. In fact, there's, there's, I think there's another bit in here from the Greavesy column where he, he doesn't fancy more too much, so we'll, we'll get back to normality later on in the magazine. Interesting, yeah. Everton kit is wearing there as well. He's got the yellow away, where it's a blue zigzag. Uh, I like the colours, but I'm not fond of the, the zigzag. Yeah, and it's 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 starting to do that thing that you know I talk about the size of it. It's a baggy. Yeah, it's, there's there's just too much material there going on. It's and that's the way strips started getting, and I hated that. It's just horrible, horrible shapes to them. So the last one on this page I'm going to look at is, is about Gaza and shoot reports on Gaza being voted the best dressed man in Britain just a year ago. However, he's just been voted among the twenty worst dressed men in Britain by Arena Magazine. How the mighty fall, eh? How the mighty fall. Does anybody want to pick anything else or comment on anything from that? Just going back to Ali Maxwell, it's a quick one. I remember him probably more so at Dundee United. Again, going back to the mid-90s, he was part of that really strong Dundee United uh, team that failed to win the league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just worth pointing that out, isn't it, Micah? Nah, you got to get that in there a few times. Yeah. <laughs> so on page 16, advert. I love these pages. For sports scene football kits. So it's a full page colour advert of full kits including home, away, keepers, tracksuits for Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Scotland and photographs accompany each of them. So in that case, Mike, I'll let you have a, a wee run through this. Yeah, I remember I remember used to be fascinated by this because apart from JGB Sports in the town centres, you never seen foreign football tops. You couldn't get them. So I, I actually remember buying a Borussia Dortmund strip from a shoot magazine. But there's the one when Paul Lambert was there, it was like really a luminous yellow with black stripes on the arm. Big C sponsor, the Continental maybe. Um, and at the same, I, I was a goalkeeper when I was young, so I was fascinated by Rouge or however you say it, Rouge or some Deco goalie gloves. I was just, I loved looking at Was it Ulsport? Ulsport, yeah. yeah. All the goalkeeper shirts. I, I was just fascinated by all that. I used, to, I used to love looking at these pages. Yeah, I've had that question asked on here as well from myself, whether it's Roosh or Roish. I mm. think I would probably go for Roish, but... Uh, Roish. Roish or Roosh. Oh. Someday, some, some, someday, someday will come on and tell us. The Scotland, the Scotland strips there, decent, decent East goalkeeper top, great, the uh, first kit, second kit, oh, that, that's pretty vile, isn't it? The, it's popular now, though. They go for a good bit of money on eBay, those shirts. Yeah, it sort of um, goes against that theory I have that, you know, crap shots are good when teams are successful because yeah. <laughs> Scotland wins it. Well, I suppose we got to a World Cup, didn't we? We got to a World Cup with that, yeah. But, okay, Is so... Oh, we, 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 yeah, well, we've we had that in 90. 90. No, no, we went to Euro 92. Euro, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, 92, which was Sweden. Sweden, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. So we're just going to have a look at the pages 17 to 19 and 22 to 24. So this is essentially this ProSet Extra Time Results Service. So we'll have a look through uh, a few of these. And ones I'm just going to pick out is from Tuesday the 3rd of December. In the Scottish Premier League, Motherwell 1, Dundee United 1. In the First Division, Air United 3, Morton 2. Partick Thistle 1, Forfar 1. Wraith Rovers 1, Kamarnock 1. And Stirling Albion 3, Clydebank 0. Boo. Rumbelow's <laughs> Cup, third round, second replay. Peterborough won, Liverpool now. And the comment here is, four times League Cup winners, Liverpool, are knocked out for the first time by a side outside the top two divisions. 
There's a photograph which shows Gary Kimball of Portsmouth firing in the winner. Great. That's what I love mm-hmm. to see. The Wednesday, the 4th of December, Scottish Premier Division. Aberdeen 2, Rangers 3. Celtic 0, Hibs 0. Hearts 1, Falkirk 1. St Johnson 1, Airdrie 0. And St Mirren 0, Dunfermline 0. With Andy Rhodes being the top man for the pass and Chick Jarley top for the Saints in that one. Okay, so, so there's a section here that says the fans have their say and it's a survey and fans' views of the games has been submitted to the footballing bodies with the following key points being raised. This is interesting. Fans strongly back a tough stance on the professional foul, with many agreeing it should be punished with a red card. Deliberate handball should be a red card defence. There's a strong opposition to penalty shootouts, with 43% in favour of next goal's the winner. (laughs) (laughs) They want to retain the offside law, but 50% want it scrapped for free kicks. That's an interesting one. 73% are backing professional referees. And fans rejected the idea of Americanising football with the introduction of sin bins and the use of video replays to assist referees. Mm-hmm. Where did we begin with this one? See the next goal, the winner, was that not just golden goal? Did yeah. they not bring that in? Yeah. Golden goal, they, right? they did, they, they brought it in Fun. for a couple of the competitions, but I th- yeah, I think it's it's our way, the way we would call it, you know, growing up as next goal, the winner, but they called it the golden <laughs> goal. Okay, so, yeah, the last one about rejecting the Americanizing of football with the introduction of sin bins and use of video referees. So, I, I, to be honest, you know, I I wouldn't be adverse to sin bins as an option. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like to see that sort of trialled out. Uh, the, the, the VAR, we, we, listen, we, we, we could get caught up in the whole VAR thing. We know that I still believe that there's a place for it, but just the way it's getting done is absolutely ruining the game and ruining people's belief that it can actually work. Um, but sim bins, I think, I think we could trial that. What else was there? 50% want it scrapped for free kicks, the offside law. Any thoughts on that? I would just get just get rid of offside. Just have uh, games that are 12-9, 22-18 in scores. Just get rid of it. Well, Jim Fallon's testimonial in 1983 was officially sanctioned by FIFA to be played without offside. Uh, it finished Celtic 5, Claybank 3. <laughs> I remember Bobby Williamson just standing uh, at the edge of the Celtic penalty area chatting to Peter Latchford. Yeah. sat waiting for a high ball and booted up to him. <laughs> I couldn't really tell you how successful that was. Uh, obviously, around about that time in Scottish football in the League Cup and at the Jibra Cup, they trialled offside from the 35 yard. They put a, a, a line, they put a line across the penalty area, uh, and there was no offside after that line. Um, maybe the 35 yard line but I'm sure they just drew a line across the penalty box and there was no offside uh, after that line the, the problem the problem you've got you can't just do that in Scottish football because if you then left to play in another country you're uh, yeah. a I, th- I think I think the idea of doing away with offside I think that changes football quite fundamentally I think that would change so much about it um, you know in terms of tactics in terms of yeah. And the enjoyment of the game. And so, do you think do you think it's different from when they stop goalkeepers uh, picking the ball up from a, a pass back? Listen, I've I've said that is the single greatest rule change in my lifetime was when when that happened. It it changed football for the better so much. It was such a great thing that it's not. It's not really until I don't really remember being that frustrated about 
you know, people kicking back to the keeper and stuff back then because it was it was the norm. I remember being frustrated, but when you look back now, you think, wow, how, how did defenders ever make mistakes when all they had to do is get the ball and just knock it back to the keeper who could pick it up? Yeah. And yeah, for me, yeah, for me, the greatest. And see, I, I, I just get this feeling that there are teams of people at FIFA or whatever organisation it is who are employed to look at the rules of the game and they feel as though they must come up with rule changes every year. And it's like, you don't, you don't, you just every, yeah. you, you come up with them when it, it's needed, when things happen that you say, right, okay, there's a problem, how do we look at it? You don't start introducing, like so this idea of the splitting up the halves, you know, and having the water break. And it's like, get that, and the five subs. Mm. That, that whole thing, no, that's just, I'm not. I'm not happy with that at all. I, I, but, I think that as well about the about the ball. There must surely just be a perfect. Maybe that's it. We've got it. It's a perfect oh. weight. It's a perfect size. It's perfect material. Mm-hmm. Leave it. Mm-hmm. But not every year it'll get fiddled about with every competition. Yes, yeah. another wee change. Yeah, and it just gives thing pe- people something to, extra to moan about the the jabalani. It's like it moves about and things like that. And it's like just yeah, just stop it. Just stop it. Just let yeah. it. Let it go. It was fine for years. Not broke. Yeah. I mean, there must be a point where they went. That's it. It's perfect. That's it. Brilliant. Mm. It does everything it needs to do. Everybody likes it. Leave it. But it'll never happen. They will still fiddle about with it or more technology or whatever. I think these people at UEFA and FIFA need to justify their positions. So mm. yeah, constantly need to fiddle about with it. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I think as well. So, but back into the results here. So, Saturday the 7th of December, we've got the Scottish Premier Division, and I'm sorry, Mikey, but the Fairland nil, Hearts 2. Goals from Miller and a crab penalty in front of 8,774 fans at East End Park. And again, Andy Rhodes was the top man for the Pars. Mm-hmm. Clyde Bank, I'm going to say they bounced back from the midweek defeat with a 2-2 draw. I don't know if you can bounce back with a draw, can you? So. Uh, I'll try my best there. A home to Dundee, Mayor and Henry for Bankies and Bremner and Campbell for Dundee. Dunfermline are currently propping up the Premier Division with six points from the first 23 games. So, not not great reading for you at this point, is it? No, yeah. no it was a bad time. Yeah. So let's move on to pages 20 and 21. And this is a full page colour spread, colour team photo of Southampton. Just I'm just going to pick out, well, we'll start with the, with the kit first and we sort of do that first. So the kit is an Admiral kit with red and white stripes. The red stripes have a thin black stripe on either side as well. And the collar and cuffs are black with the sponsor Draper's Tools. And the black shorts with a red and white band down the side. The white socks with black and red stripes on the top. And the Admiral logo is on the front of the middle of the socks. It's probably the thing I like the most about that is I, I, I'm a fan of having the logo on the socks in the middle of the front. Apart from that, it's it's it doesn't scream out to me. It's it's all right. It doesn't it doesn't you know I, I don't hate it, but it, I just don't feel as if it's a great kit. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. What 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 gets me about that photo when when we used to do all the team photos at Dunfermline, we always were quite OCD, so. If you had two coaches on one end, you get two coaches on the other to balance it out. Yep. I'm looking at that back row and there's just a guy randomly standing above the, the keeper on the yellow. <laughs> Not even in a row. Same with other guys. That that would just bug me. I would have them in, in a row so it's balanced out better. Yeah, and, and, and you sort out heights and things like that as well. You, you get it. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm absolutely with you in that. So I'm just going to pick out some of the players from it. So there's Nicky Banger. 
who's in there who had a spell at Dundee, played six league games between 1999 and 2001, so relatively recently. I say relatively recently, that's still 20 years ago. But it's recent for my nostalgic brain. Um, we've got Francis Benali in there who does, I'm sure you, you'll be aware of this, does lots of charitable fundraising and including multiple Ironman events. I think he's probably fitter now than he was as a footballer. Matt Letizia scored 47 of 48 penalties he took. And apparently Mark Crosley was the one who saved the sole one that he missed and he counts it as his most favourite, which is fair enough. We've got Ian Andrews in there and Tim Flowers, the goalkeepers. Don't look particularly tall, Ian Andrews. Maybe there's just tall people around him. Neil Ruddock is in there as well. Paul Rideout had 12 games. Uh, Rangers scored him one league goal. Russell Osman, it says he's now at Bristol City. But he's most mostly known for his time at Ipswich Town, which included a role as Doug Clure. He was in that. Have you seen Escape to Victory, Mikey? Escape to Victory, the one with Pele and yeah. Bobby Moore. Aye, I've seen that, yeah. So so Russell Osman was in that. He was Doug Clure. Okay, we've got Ian, Ian Branfoot as a manager. He was previously at Reading and then he was at Fulham after Southampton. Kevin Moore was diagnosed with a rare form of dementia called Pick's disease at age 51 and sadly died on his 55th birthday, so that's sad. Alan Shearer, a fairly decent career ahead of him. We spoke about him before, but a total of 422 goals in all competitions and he's a goal-to-game ratio of 0.667 goals per game, which is absolutely astounding. Sold to Blackburn Rovers in July 1992 for 3.6 million and David Speedy, um, but Saints didn't enclose a sell-on clause. That that's criminal, isn't it? His honours: Blackburn Rovers Premier League champions 94 to 95. So, anything anybody wants to pick out from that or comment on? Let me just look at the tongues and the, the boots in the front row. Hmm. Everybody's got a huge hmm. tongue on their on their oh, boots. Oh. What was the reason for them putting the tongue, tongues up like that? I noticed that in the Bill one as well, a few of them. Is that just a fashion at, at that time? Or? See, see my, my, my theory on, on the tongues, why they were that length, is, is they're meant to be folded over to cover your, your tied shoelaces. So that, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you kick a ball, you strike a ball, it protects you a bit from that. But obviously I think a lot of that is a case of it's just a fashionable thing at, at that time. Yeah. Um, Maybe branding as well, because you can clearly see the Umbro logo on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boots there because of that, that big tongue. Mm. Okay, we're on to page 23, which is It's in England. So this is a, it's a sort it's a, it's a not an advert, but it's a competition. It's England have submitted its bid to hold the 1996 UEFA European Championship. England will be playing Brazil in a friendly on the 17th of May, 1992. And this page gives the reader the chance to fill in a coupon to send away to support the bid and also to be included in a draw where 12 winners will win tickets for that match. It's a full full page, full page uh, advert. I suppose it is an advert for it, but it gives you a chance to win it. So, I mean, as we know, they, they did win that bid and, and hosted the European Championships. Page 27. So, a dream come true. So, this is down the bottom hand, bottom right hand corner. So it's a little item with a photograph and it's got Graham McQueen. So this this is Graham McQueen met the Prince of Parkhead and felt like the King of Scotland after winning the Celtic competition in our October issue. Nine-year-old Graham from Lockerbie was a VIP guest at Celtic's 2-1 win over Aberdeen. He enjoyed a tour of the ground, including a visit to the trophy room, but his greatest moment came when he met his idol, Charlie Nicholas, 
and he even presented the man of the match award to the striker on the pitch after the game. And Graham says, I had a terrific time and it was a dream come true to meet Charlie and the rest of the Celtic players at the game. I got some great presents from Celtic and shoot and it was a day I will always remember. And Graham's father, Stuart, mother Helen and brother Jamie were also at the game and said everyone bent over backwards to be helpful and we couldn't have asked for a better time. Now the article shows a photo of Charlie with Graham with his arm around his shoulder and Graham looks pretty elated but he's he's wearing a, a Scotland tracksuit and a Celtic scarf mm. um, which I thought was, you know, if, if, if you'd won a competition to go and watch your heroes you'd probably wear a tracksuit that belongs to them rather than the Scotland one but it's a nice tracksuit. Now, unusual for this, for throughout the article, so Graham is mentioned firstly G-R-A-H-A-M and he's mentioned a couple of times with that spelling and then at the very end they, they spell it G-R-A-E-M-E. Now, I found Graham on Twitter and I sent him this and he, he, was, he was delighted he hadn't seen it for ages and stuff but it's actually the second spelling which is correct. So, I, you know, it's just consistency. Consistency is all mm-hmm. we're asking for. Yep. A great wee day out for him. Absolutely. So moving on to pages 30 and 31. So we're on the Greavesy. The Greavesy pages which always give us one or two things to talk about. So the first one, the the title itself is Jocks Away. And you know I'm going to start getting wild when that's the title. So <laughs> Damien Griffiths from Wrexham writes, Scotland might have qualified for the European Championship, but they don't stand a chance in Sweden. Now, Greavesy replies, they've got more chance than the 50 or so nations who aren't going to the finals. I'm delighted for the Jockos. <laughs> they deservedly finished top of their group and they'll add a lot of excitement and colour to the finals. Now, I, I just, Damien sounds a bit bitter for some reason. He's, he, they weren't even in our group. The the Welsh people were, they saw. He was, he's from Wales, wasn't he? I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just wonder why he's, he's so bitter about it, but... Well done, Greavesy, but then you had to say the Jockles thing, and so I've taken mm. your well done back. To be, to be fair, to be fair to Damien, he, he was correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the point. Badly. That's not. So next one is Platt Attack. Uh, it's got a picture of David Platt there with it. So Alistair Kennedy from Dunbar in East Lothian writes, David Platt will be back within a year after his terrible time with bottom of the league Barry. Let's face it, British players are just not good enough for Italy. So Greaves' reply to this is, Cobblers, Platt is as good as any of the expensive imports in Italy. His problem is that he joined a useless team where he's expected to do it all on his own. Yeah, I, 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 don't, know that, I don't know that Alistair can get told off for saying the British players aren't that good and then Greaves says, that's rubbish, it's just that the Italian teams aren't that good. Any, any comments on any of that stuff? Shall I move on to the, the gutless small one? Let's move on to the, you know, let, let's let's get back to normality here. So Des Roche from Renfrew. Again, there's been a few people writing in from Scotland. Must be a lot of anger coming from the people in Scotland. Maybe that's what it is. Des Roche from Renfrew writes, Mo Johnson showed very little character in joining Everton after just a couple of games on the bench at Rangers. Ali McCoy was a sub for ages, but battled through to become first choice at Ibrox. So Gravesy writes, Mo has never been the sort of player you'd rely on, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are even more moves in his career. He did a good job for Rangers, and nobody at the club can argue that they didn't get the money's worth from him. Yeah, I can I can hear all the Celtic fans out there heartily agreeing with. Isn't this the Des Roach been on to become a referee? Oh, I don't know about that. 
Yeah, tell me more. Well, with a Des Reef, Des Roach from uh, Renfrewshire went on to become a referee. Ain't he ref, he ref in the juniors? All right. Must be. Must be, surely. Is there, is, there a, is there a Twitter handle for Des Roach? don't think so, but he's been on Robert Burns' uh, radio show. All right. We'll need to chase that one up. That'd be interesting. Yeah, it's a dead road, so I would be about mid-40s now. So, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a particularly common name, is it? Mm-hmm. I don't think. No, that'd be worth that'll be worth chasing up. Yeah, yeah, because I'm just doing a wee bit of uh, searching here on Robert's uh, site, yeah. Mm. There's a picture of him with a Renfrew Juniors. Yeah. So, yeah, that'd be good spot. Good spot, that. So, here we go. On to page 33, and good to hear that you're a, you're a fellow goalkeeper. Okay, so we'll have a look at this. So it's a Sondico goalkeeper's gloves ad- advert. This fi- this is a full-page colour advert for Sondico goalie gloves. The ad has a photo of a football being he- held by a pair of Sondico gloves with the heading, technically, the best in any language. The rest of the advert is of four goalkeepers. Chris Woods of England, Neville Southall of Wales, Andy Gorham of Scotland and Eric Torsved of Norway. Each keeper has a photograph of them in their national kits, wearing the Sundico gloves, accompanied by an endorsement from them on the gloves. However, and this this I love, these endorsements are in the native language of each of the nations. So it's actually it's a little humorous that Andy Gorham's statement is in Scottish Gaelic. So I, I doubt Andy said that. That must have had to be translated. I'm even going to try it. Any anybody speak Scottish Gaelic? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well. I'm sure. I'm sure it says the same thing that Chris Woods is saying, but in Scottish Gaelic. So Chris Woods is saying to perform at the the most competitive level of the game, I demand the ultimate in goalkeeping technology, and that means one name: join the best team in the business and put your trust in Sundico. Yeah, because every one of them finish in Sundico. So I think they're all saying the same thing, just in different languages. I just found that really interesting that they did it that way. Are Sandico still on the go? Do they still exist? Yeah, I, th- I think I think Sandico are a a brand name that Sports Direct uses. It's, right. it's, it's, it's basically the a cheap brand. Right. Uh, I don't I don't think it was ever a, a pair of gloves that I had as you know sort of in my my proper footballing years. It started off with old sport, um, mm. mostly old sport for them all. Um, maybe a bit of umbro later years as the, you know there was more smaller companies doing doing gloves because they could get them made in the Far East and things like that and they were good quality so I started moving to those sort of ones you know little start-up companies I, I remember another thing going back to Andy Rhodes who was in that team photo he, he wore some deco gloves and every game he would throw them into the, into the fans that was his wee that was his wee thing yeah Oh, that that would have been absolutely brilliant I'd have loved that Clyde Bank with Jim Gallagher but I think <laughs> every, every penny was a prisoner really back then so Okay, so moving on to pages 34 and 35, and it's a couple of pages dedicated to the Curver coaching soccer schools, and we've spoke about these a few times as well. And in fact, Gordon Smart was actually a Curver coach himself when he was in London. The first page is a masterclass with Zico, and it's got John Collins demonstrating what has been called the Zico move. And the three picks of Collins showing the move. And number one is John's right foot goes around the ball, leaving it against the trailing left foot. Number two, the trailing left foot flicks the ball. And number three, the ball was flicked forward to John's right foot as he takes it quickly away to the right. All one fluid moving. Brilliant. No six-pack on display either. <laughs> no. So on the opposite page, you have the chance to win a competition to train at one of the soccer schools. All you have to do 
is identify three players who have featured in the Masterclass series throughout the year, not including Zico. So there are obviously more than three, so I guess it's just three from however many there have been. They also say, rub shoulders with the stars, Gordon Strachan, Graham Souness, Steve Bull, Richard Goff, Paul Ince and Mikey Thomas and many more. That's, that's a good good set of um, players there. Yeah, it's very colourful. They, they certainly, two pages as they say, they certainly put their, their money, you know, the advertising space and things like that. Do you have, do you have any memory, do you, do you know anything about the Carver coaching schools? I don't, I, I know Gordon obviously worked down there in London, but um, nah, I, I don't really know much about it at all. Mm. Was, it similar, was, was it similar to like the Bobby Charlton kind of soccer schools that were kicking about? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think they were all pretty similar, but the, the Curva mm-hmm. one was based on sort of looking at the, the way that the best players did things in duplicating it so the example here being the Zico move is it's about yeah. working on that but it's also about repetitive training doing things over and over and over so that it becomes second nature to you you know there was a lot of, I think there was a lot of science or a lot of thought that went into the, the Corver method um, I think it's been a very successful one possibly mm. one of the more successful ones so page 36 we're on here so this is the last thing i'm going to be looking at so this is take care of kenny that's minder ray's daily duty so this is ray hartford they're talking about in kenny Douglas at blackburn rovers so the photo of the article shows ray hartford on the training pitch with kenny Douglas. and there's also an inset photo of arthur daly along with his minder not Dennis Waterman, the other one. Now, I have no clue who the name of the other minder was. Ray, it was his nephew, Ray. All right, no, I mean his real name. Oh, right. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Gary Webster. Oh, right, okay. Well done. <laughs> I, I was going to have a wee spiel there about nobody ever remembers the name of the other minder. But there we go. You've just proven me wrong. So it says, soccer minder Ray Hartford has vowed to shield Blackburn boss Kenny Douglas from the pressures which drove him out of the game nine months ago, saying, Kenny won't crack. And th- this next bit I, I really like about Kenny. He says, there is this myth that Kenny is some sort of arrogant superstar, too high and mighty to deal with the ordinary guys who follow football. But I'll tell you now, Kenny Douglas has no ego at all. He has a high profile because of his brilliant career, but he's not a high profile person. He never tries to use his reputation to play Jack the Lad like some stars do. People have put him on a pedestal he doesn't want to be on. Kenny is more natural and normal than the so-called man in the street. He has no airs and graces. I guess, Mikey, that sort of goes back to what you're talking about, certainly today, about yeah. the, the ego of footballers in particular. So, so, so it's obvious from this article, the whole point in this article was that he's been brought in to, to sort of shield, I suppose, Kenny. Because I think that that's why he left Liverpool, wasn't it? Was because a lot, you know, stuff was getting to him, and I think he just had to get away from the game for a bit. And the purpose of Ray coming in was to to be that buffer, I suppose, and just let Kenny get on with the football side of things. And it it certainly worked. They they mm-hmm. won they won the Premiership. So you know, proof is in the pudding. Any 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 memories of the two of them together? I mean, obviously we. Must have memories of that that championship season, the the Premiership season. What I remember was um, again going back to GGB Sports. If you remember, they used to sell just random football shirts, uh, really cheap. So I remember getting a Blackburn Rovers shirt for ten quid in uh, nineteen ninety four, uh, the year they won the league. But but back then you just wore any 
any shots as long as it wasn't Falkirk or Ray Rovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Tom, do you have any any thoughts? Uh, well, I remember that obviously Kenny in charge of uh, Blackburn when they come up from uh, First Division or whatever they were calling it then into the into the Premiership. Uh, I remember like, that was when Blackburn Rovers kind of really announced themselves when Kenny took them up for promotion. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the sorry, the, the very last quote there that he says so it's about his you know coaching and stuff. But he says it's taken me twelve years to become a star overnight. We we hear that so many times about bands and footballers and you know other other areas. I suppose that people think oh they've become a star overnight, but actually no, I've been doing this my entire life. You just didn't know about me. So so it's, it's, it's a nice wee thing to end on there. Okay, so so with that, Mikey, thank you. For, for going through the magazine with us, it's been great. I hope you, I hope you've you've enjoyed doing it. No problem, mate. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Like I said, been looking forward to it for a while, so mm-hmm. it's good to good to have a chat. Great stuff. Listen, what, what's what's going on with yourself at the moment? What's what are you involved in? What what are you doing? So uh, my nine to five job, uh, I work at the local college, uh, Fife College, in the digital and the marketing team. So I look after the a bit of, bit of design work, video content, social media website. Uh, which I love it's great it's a good place to work um, and then on the side I've got a few things going um, I'm involved with a, a Celtic podcast in the background called A Celtic State of Mind which yeah, you might yeah. have heard yeah. uh, good, good pal of mine Paul Dykes uh, that's kind of his baby Yeah. so I've I've kind of played a wee bit in the background of that with the, the graphic design the branding some of the ideas for marketing mm. and stuff so uh, yeah that's that's Grown places at the moment. They've just got new premises out in Dalkeith, yeah. new studios. So that's pretty exciting. I've been meaning to ask about that because I've seen videos and photographs, and it looks absolutely superb. Mm-hmm. What is the thought behind having those premises? Is it going to be used for other things, or is it you know what what is the purpose of it? There's big, big, uh, big plans to be honest. Um, the the overarching company is called State of Mind. So what what Paul's really keen to do is. Not just football, not just Celtic. He wants to cover music, mm-hmm. poetry, uh, books, TV. You know, really all the creative side of things, and it's uh, definitely going to go places. Mm-hmm. No, it looks terrific. It looks like a, a great setup that they've got going on. So, yeah. yeah. Is there anything else that you're doing? What? How? How's? How? How are you managing through the 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 COVID crisis? Uh, I, it's been it's been interesting. We. Uh, me and my, my partner Lynn, we've got two young boys and we uh, <laughs> we got keys to a new house. Right. The Friday before lockdown was announced oh, on the no. Monday. Yeah. Uh, so and the house was a wreck, so we had to strip it back to brick pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um so renovating a house, trying to work from home. And uh, my partner's a school teacher, so it was yeah. good fun with two, two young kids. Yeah. I can imagine. Uh, a bit stressful, but we're there now, so I'm kinda now getting back into the office now for working. Mm-hmm. So Aye, it's uh, it's going good. Well, as, as long as you're as long as you're you're keeping well and healthy, and everybody's happy and busy. That's yep. that's the main thing. So yeah, listen, yep. th- th- just like thank you again for joining us. As as you say, I, we've been planning to do this for ages, and I've been delighted to get you on. I've you know we've 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 conversed over Twitter for many years, and it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you again for giving us your no time. Problem. Yeah, thanks for you guys. Yeah. So with that, I'd like to say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of Story of the Blues for the music of the show. And you can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk. You can check out any details of any upcoming gigs and music that he's working on. 
And we'd also like to thank our producer, Diane Jardin, at transmissionroom.co.uk, where she has music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clydebank, and that's open as we speak. So if you do have a need for that in the area, then please contact Diane at transmissionroom.co.uk. I can't recommend her highly enough. So on that, I'd like to thank Tom for being Tom. Thank you, Andy. And as always, I'd like to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please share it amongst your friends. Something I don't ask, which I'm I'm going to remember this time, is please leave us a comment on or rate the podcast, whatever there is available and however you, you listen to these. Because I, I think, I may be wrong here, I haven't really... We should maybe do a wee bit of research into these sort of things, but I think if you leave comments and rate things, it gets higher up. Yeah. Is that the case? Right, okay. So from now on, I'm going to start asking you to do that. So if you can do that, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Subscribe to the newsletter. Yep, the newsletter. So have we got any details of the newsletter, like a webpage of that, Tom? Or we'll just go to the Shoot the Breeze website. Shoot the Breeze. Shoot the Breeze pod.co.uk yeah yeah you don't need to record this yourself <laughs> we're really pre- see the thing is we, we we're focused so much on doing the show that we forget about all the the shoot tb underscore podcast and shoot the breeze pod.co.uk forget about that but you know as you say we can add it in later but anyway thank you for listening until the next time let's shoot the breeze <laughs>